in the pool right now? Are you in the car? Is it air conditioned? I hope it's air conditioned. Um, I'm currently out of the country doing my own thing. And so Casey and I were talking because I was like, I could try to, and Casey was like, busy, just focus on your kid and <laughs> the school. Um, let's do a thing we haven't done yet, but feels like we should have done. And maybe it'll be really interesting to people. It will be for sure interesting to me. <laughs> because I don't know if I'm even going to remember these moments. It's true. How many podcasts have we done? Oh, my goodness. I have truly lost count. Um, but it's more than a 100. Well, I it's definitely that. more than 100. I remember our hundredths. <laughs> it has to be close to 150. Probably close to 150. Yeah. I would, I would truly have to count because we don't number them. So. Like the assholes we are. <laughs> March to the beat of our own drummers. <laughs> but we've done two, over two years worth of podcasts. Almost three. Yeah. This is three. Going on three. This is three. Yeah. Fuck. <laughs> well, in those three years, we've talked to so many people who are extraordinary and cool. And sometimes I'm like, oh, yeah, that's right. That's wild. That person was on our podcast. Um, and we wanted to like, take a look at, guys, it's a clip show. It's a clip <laughs> show. It's a clip show where we listen, take a look and listen, take a look with our ears <laughs> and listen to listen. some of our very favorite pivot episodes. I loved chatting with our guest, Glennon Doyle. We were all really excited about it. If you're one of the four people in this country who haven't bought and read Untamed, Glennon's best-selling book, you should probably pick it up. Um, so good. You know, it's a veil. And uh, it's been on the bestseller list for, I think now, 45 weeks. It's worth it. And she had a lot of interesting things to say. We really enjoyed it. So please listen. I just want to kick it off because... 44 weeks, the book came into the world, was birthed into the world. 44 weeks ago was a fairly different looking place. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And you feel to me like someone who's quite prolific. And when you, when you start to write, you just write. Is that true? No, writing is really hard for me. Oh, really? Oh, oh good. That, that makes, makes me, me so, so happy. happy. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's really miserable, actually. Um, you know, I read, I actually keep a quote on my desk that says writers are people for whom writing is harder than it is for everyone else. Like, yes. That Great. is, and, and especially with stuff like Untamed, there's things that I can write easily. Untamed was not one of them. It felt like the kind of thing I was, I've been trying to say since I was a kid and then right. I did it all into this one book. Uh -huh. So it felt very intense and difficult actually. Yeah, but how, so how long was the process for you to write the book? Well, just the writing of it, maybe two and a half years. Oh, wow. Okay. Mm -hmm. And then editing was another year or yeah. six months? Maybe, yeah. Yeah. Maybe nine months of editing. Yeah. And and then, 
like a lifetime of, of living through all of those things and trying to figure out what all the hell they all meant. You know, <laughs> 44 years. <to> 44. <laughs> it took you 44. But I guess for the book to come out, you know, about a year, a year and a half ago, is that right? March 10th was uh-huh. the day this was, it, it came out. I was on the road kicking off the book tour. That's right. When, when COVID happened. Right. Right. That's I right. had to cancel the book tour. Everybody's, everybody's life was like starting in March. Like everybody was like, I had just started a new job. I was supposed to go to Paris on March 16th. That's right. (laughs) I mean, we were, our team was sitting in a hotel room. People were crying. I mean, my team is really just like my sister and my wife and then (laughs) my three best friends. So it's, Everyone had been preparing for this for so long and people were just like crying in the hotel room because we were like, we had to shut it all down. Like I re- yeah. And I remember your decision making and following the journey of like telling everybody that the book tour was canceled and people were crushed. And I felt like in the moment I was a very early, um, I was on, on COVID early. Like I was like, this is going to be a big deal. Mm -hmm. And I know that you had some people that were like, why do this? Yeah. I mean, because it was early. We canceled pretty early. Things weren't being canceled yet. You were one of the first. I mean, you, you canceled before Coachella. Glenn. I mean, <laughs> let me tell you something. I freaking love canceling things. So this wasn't like, <laughs> every time I make a plan, I just immediately start waiting, just hoping that someone will cancel the plan. So like, and then I have friends with, it's just like a game of chicken. Like I'm waiting till they cancel on me and they're waiting till I cancel on them. So each of us can take credit for not canceling. So right. this was a little bit this wasn't like that though. No. This felt really, really sad. And I remember sitting, I was sitting in a hotel room with Abby because there was like half of our team was like, hell no, we're going, this is ridiculous. Like it's ridiculous. Nobody's canceling anything. And then I was sitting with Abby and I was like, I, I can't cancel this. This is, this is the most important thing I've ever made. And she was like, cause she's like always doing the right thing. <laughs> <laughs> She's like Captain America of the right thing, you know? And she said, well, is, is this the most important thing you've made or is the community that you've made the most important thing you've ever made? Because you could be risking their health by inviting them. So that was the moment that I was like, okay, we have to Very wise. <laughs> That's so wise. We should say for people listening, in case they don't know, Abby's your wife. Yes. Yes. And yes. you might know Abby from being a soccer star. I was just literally making a face right now because I was like, who doesn't know this? Who's listening to this podcast? Just in case, just in case. I was was trying to imagine what what the crossover that, I mean, in my head, anyone who would follow me knows who you are, Glennon. (laughs) I don't know. I don't either. Well, I I don't know either. either. I'm just saying. In my, my head, that's the way. I mean, it's my whole knows Abby. I think that that is a... (laughs) <laughs> true in my life. Like, I mean, if you guys knew the amount of times where, I mean, it's been a little bit better since COVID since we can't go anywhere, but my <laughs> whole life going anywhere was like someone approaching me and me like, you know, trying to like get on my humble face because you know, <laughs> like, here this person is clearly, you know, recognizing me and then coming up to me and saying, can I get a picture? And me saying, of course. And then hand, they hand me their phone so I can take uh, a picture of Abby and that person. That's my whole life. It's we me. were, 
humble and then realizing, oh, I should just be humble because this is not <laughs> happening. Yeah. I mean, that's always great advice, by the way, to just yeah. <laughs> always just let's just enter every situation, assuming that they want you to take the camera and take a picture of them with someone else. Of them. Yes. Oh, yeah, yes. Of them. Yes. Because it's never going to be a cute look when you like try to pose and they're like, just me and my wife. <laughs> <laughs> what are you, you doing? Know. What are you uh, doing? Yeah. Ew. Well, obviously the book, that must've been like a pivot that you all had to make in your brain. And so how did you regroup? So much of the book, you talk about the thing that like, I feel very deeply, I know very deeply. It's a thing that has really come into very sharp focus for me in recent years, but that the knowing, you call it the knowing, everybody, people have different ideas of what it is. For me, it's like, it's like a lightning bolt and I just know something (laughs) that is the next right thing to do. So when you cancel the book tour, maybe that, maybe you didn't have the knowing, but Abby did, thank God. And then what was the next thing in your head of like, how am I going to make sure my community is supported? How am I going to make sure this labor of love and creativity is supported? What did you, where did you go? So the great part was I was like, okay, we'll just, we'll just pretend this didn't happen. And then we'll just do this later. Right. We'll just, oh, you were going to hold it. Yeah, because for sure. Well, no, I mean, it was out, but like the whole celebration. Right. Oh, right. Like the yeah. tour. Because, you know, clearly this will all be over in like a few months. That's <laughs> what I thought. And so we are most of my life, although writing and speaking is a big deal for me, most of my life is together rising. Like most of what we do on a daily basis is our nonprofit. So we knew that we were going to be just slammed out of our minds because we are basically like first responders to families in crisis. And all COVID was predicted to be was like one long situation where families were in crisis. So we just kept saying, okay, we felt like we were in promotion mode and we just kept saying switch to service, switch to service. We started working our butts off at Together Rising to try to help where we could. And then, and then I was like, how am I going to show up for people, for my community? Because everyone was scared shitless, obviously. Which was kind of, you guys, I am a person who's dealt with depression and anxiety my whole life. Hi. Welcome to welcome to all of us. Yes. Okay, yes, yes. A, a, young, a young girl in America, depressed? <laughs> and, why? And, why? and anxiety ridden? Yeah. Tell why? me why, Glennon. <laughs> Every time somebody asks me, well, how, why do little girls get eating disorders? I'm like, are you freaking serious? Because they're paying attention. They're right. Like, yeah. You know, Abby actually noticed, she said, it's weird. You just, you seem calmer since COVID came. Like you're, I was the the calmest one in my family and still am about the COVID thing. And it was so baffling to us for a while. And I think I figured out, oh, because I've been saying my whole life, I've been chicken little my whole life. Yeah. Mm -hmm. My whole life I've been going, oh, this shit's going to get bad. Yes. Are you all paying attention because this shit is bad and it's, and everybody's like more medicine. And I'm like, but maybe you're just not paying attention. And then the sky really did fall. Mm -hmm. And I was like, how are you like? Yeah. Yeah. So I felt like I had been developing all along the skills of being scared all the time and still figuring out how to show up and like do your work and Mm -hmm. help each other and comfort each other, which makes people like me and you guys like really helpful in times like this. So I started doing these morning meetings, which by the way, was something that I used to do with my third graders because I used to teach elementary school. I still feel like I'm an elementary school teacher who's just on this weird hiatus. (laughs) (laughs) But my favorite time of the day with third graders 
was when we sat down in the beginning of the day and didn't do any school stuff. We just talked about like being human and how hard it is to be a kid and what was going on at home. And we had this little song that went, it's morning meeting time, it's morning meeting time. So for some reason, I started doing morning meetings with my community online. And then the morning meetings started taking off like crazy. And then team took off from the morning meetings. That's what every, that's what my whole team thinks. Cause none of us know how the hell this happened. As somebody who watched it from the outside, I think that also the book is the exact right book for this exact right moment, right? Mm-hmm. For everyone yeah. in so many yeah. different ways, don't you think? But those morning meetings were really special, especially in the beginning where people were like, what are we do? Like, what are we doing? I can't fucking homeschool my kid and ah, there's so much laundry. And I feel like it was just like a very calming, safe place and then a way to like refocus. And we had everything taken away, all our people and all just, you don't realize how much, how meaningful it is to just nod to someone in public and say, Hey, or talk to someone in line at the store. And I remember that last shopping trip before everything shut down. And I remember thinking to myself, like, this is going to be the last time I'm doing this for a long time. And Mm -hmm. some guy in front of me was like, I forgot frozen pizzas. I'm going to run and get frozen pizzas. And he turned around and said, do you want frozen pizzas? And I was like, yeah, get me two frozen pizzas. <laughs> and I was like, this is going to be the last time that I'm having like just a little chit chat in a grocery store line with somebody for oh, a long time. Like a weird interaction with a stranger that you'll never probably see again. Yeah. And so you were giving people like a water cooler or like a town mm. square to come in that moment when we all thought that it was, it had evaporated forever. I really think one of the things too um, is that uh, we all got to sit quietly, like in our bodies, but like in our houses, usually I have to go to work, I have to go to the gym, I have to go to the store, I have to do, I have to drop the kids off at school, not me, I'm talking about other people. Uh, but uh, everybody has something to do that can distract them from whatever's going on and in, like inside of them. And I think that the two hours that you used to get, you used to get ready in the morning are now used to, sit with yourself. And I think that that's one of the reasons, obviously, social justice books took off, but also a really good reason why Untamed took off. Glennon, I wanted to ask you, Casey and I had so many conversations. And then in the Busy Tonight Writers Room, we talked about how to be subversive in our activism and in getting across messages that, um, you know, maybe people that uh, wouldn't wouldn't maybe be open to yet. And storytelling was like the only way you can like change people. Mm-hmm. And so I guess I'm curious how much of what Shantir is saying specifically about the book, like the cover and like how much of it did you think like, let's make this a little bit like approachable for people who are like, I'm not going to read a feminist manifesto, a book about becoming you know, an activist. I'm not buying my wife for Christmas, the book that makes her leave me. Oh my God. <laughs> favorite review ever is from Sabu. He writes, just interesting book, five stars. Don't let your wife read it. Oh, wow. Oh, yes. Wow. That's oh, wild. Complicated feelings about that issue because since for the last five years, I mean, there, you know, articles have been written about me that say I'm a Trojan horse. Like I come in looking one way and then say other things. I think that's what they mean. But the more I think about it, the more pissed off it makes me because what I think they're saying 
is that you look like, I think it's a little bit of misogyny in that. Oh, yeah. 100%. For sure. Just, just <laughs> but, saying, like, you look like you should be stupid. Yeah, that's exactly mm-hmm. what they're saying. Yeah. So, so it's not a Trojan horse. It's like, you're just a misogynist. You're just shocked that I could have a, a cover that has any pink in it. And then I could ha- be full of like really good ideas that, 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 that anybody who should be taken seriously should look a certain way. It's what I love about you so much, Busy. It's like Thanks. your, your absolute refusal to, to not to, 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 to hold on to whatever you consider like your look, your, your presentation to the world mm-hmm. and also be brilliant and badass and like not compromise any of it. I guess for me personally, I have seen the thing that has been like put on me forever, mm-hmm. which is like, you know, at the dinner party where, you know, the business man who has like too many degrees from Harvard suddenly looks over and then like really looks at you because you've said something and they're like smart and yes at, exactly you know glennon because you've been at that table exactly you know i guess i've used that as part of my superpower mm-hmm. in the last 5 10 years and part of what i what i want is i want to dismantle the patriarchy and white supremacy, <laughs> obviously. But I want to get these women who ha- are are just trapped in these cages out of these fucking cages mm-hmm. and at least a little bit. And I'm just going to tell you, they're not going to do it by picking up a book off the shelf that, that but genders. That, looks, that, that I wrote, to yeah. be completely honest. Totally. So I just feel like... I don't know. Like for me, it's not about being a Trojan whore. I mean, that's like being perpetrated on us by other people. You know, we, I live in a very strangely, very strangely conservative town. It's, I live in Naples, Florida. I know. I was so, I'm so shocked that you live there. And then I, I understood why you do, but that is, that does seem wild. I'm from Tallahassee, Florida. And then when I found out you were from Naples, I was like, all right, you're working hard down there. Sometimes like you stay there and you do the work. And if I would have stayed in Tallahassee, I could have done a lot of work. But like sometimes you got to (laughs) leave. I'm not super sure while you're leaving, but sometimes the work becomes too big for where you are. So like when I found out you were in Naples, I was like, you're doing a lot of work. For sure. And life life (laughs) is too big. And your kids, I mean, I, we're in a, Abby and I are married. We have a kid who's gay. This, there's just this, Chase came to us, to me one day and said, this place does not love us. No. And I was like, for my kid to say that to you, just like, there's so many parts in Untamed where it's like, these doors aren't even locked. Like I can leave this religion. I can leave this marriage. Mm I can, and then I finally was like, wait, I can sure as hell leave the city. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, that's what, I mean, I, that's the pivot I just made. And it was the, also of mine was not my kids telling me with their words, but I just had, I had that thing where I dropped in and I was like, oh, this, this is toxic for our mm-hmm. kids and for me personally. And if we stay here, it's bad. We got to get the fuck out right now. And we like left 48 hours later. Well, we really did it. We really solved all the problems. No, nope. we yeah. solved everything today. 
The world's fine now, you guys. We, we fixed did it. it. Also, I, I wrote for the ESPYs one time. Is that an SP in the back? I swear. I yeah, I <laughs> that is an SP, right? I was like, yeah. I love- you guys, real quick before we go, I'll tell you this. The night that Abby won that SD yeah. was when we were, she got the Icon Award and it was like Peyton and Kobe actually. And It was your first night together, right? Yes. I was <laughs> hiding back in the hotel room. I was hiding. We just had sex for the first time. That- I, my whole life was like, oh, this is life. Like it was the best day of my entire life, the day she won that. But I couldn't go with her because nobody knew about us. So I was just waiting. I was sitting in the hotel room shaking. Wow, wow, wow. <laughs> that That is a gay-ass espy, and that's why it <laughs> called to me. So You felt it. You felt I its power. Felt, I, felt, I felt that gay fucking espy. I felt it. <laughs> I love it. I renamed it Shantira Forevermore. I love that part in the book though too. I just love like I love how you wrote so honestly about your love like how you guys fucking did it for the first time. Like how that all happened. Like it's just it's it was it's great. I love the, it. It's the freeing. only thing I lo- the only thing I love more than a gay ass SP is a late in life lesbian. Love it. <laughs> Love it. I mean, that's and, the quote. And, and here's the thing. I'm not trying to put no labels on anybody, but hey, man, if you want to leave your husband for a cool soccer player, fuck yeah. it up. <laughs> <laughs> fuck it up. Fuck it up. That just made me choke. That was amazing. Love it. We love to see it. Thank you uh, so much, Glennon. This was like yeah. the most fun. You know, some people say that hair care is the new skin care. And you know what I feel very lucky to have in my life? I'm holding one up right now. This is my little kitsch, kitsch scrunchie that I use when I wash my face. I know it's not going to damage my hair. I love kitsch products because they've created game-changing essentials that I swear by, that Casey swears by, that my most importantly, Birdie swears by. Yes, whatever your budget, your skin type, your hair type, Kitsch believes you deserve a little indulgence at affordable prices, morning, noon, and night. Satin pillowcases, the the time-saving towels, um, the scrunchies, hair ties, the eye masks. You probably saw at some point the heatless satin curling rollers that went viral on TikTok Say goodbye to heat damage. This is the original one. They're still the best heatless curlers. I'm obsessed. Don't settle for any knockoffs, guys. Get the ones that started the craze. The latest Kitsch viral craze are rice water shampoo bars, which I love for travel because I always get so much anxiety at TSA that I have too many liquids on me. I feel like a criminal. But the shampoo bar, it's not a liquid. And by the way, I turned on a bunch of my high school friends to it, gave them our code. They bought these shampoo bars, conditioner bars, the rice water bars, and they all love them. Everybody says their hair looks a thousand times better between washings. And I gotta say, I agree. Plus, right now for a limited time, you can live the Barbie dream life with the Barbie by Kitsch collection featuring Kitsch's best-selling satin pillowcases in iconic Barbie pink, the color of the summer. Um, Guys, go check out the website 
and you're going to you're going to get yourself some cute cute things you're going to get your friends some cute things you're going to fill your cart on up because also right now kitch is offering 30% off your entire order at mykitch.com/best that's right 30% off anything and everything at mykitch spelled m y k i t s c h.com/best one more time mykitch.com/best for 30% off your order. Oh my God, Busy. Do you know what I read? An estimated 5 billion plastic hand soap and cleaning bottles are thrown away each year. Oh my God. That is very disturbing. Disturbing because the products that we use every single day are ultimately contaminating our water supply. Whether or not you think you're recycling them, here's the deal. Chances are you're actually generating hundreds of microplastics that we end up ingesting. (sighs) Thankfully, lots of, you know, people are trying to figure it out. And Blue Land set out to do something about it by eliminating the need for single-use plastic in the products we reach for the most. Hand soap, glass cleaner, multi-surface cleaner. The idea was always simple. They offer endlessly refillable cleaning products with a beautiful, cohesive design that looks great on your counter. Which I know I'm shallow. I I do care about the planet. I care about how beautiful the planet is. My kitchen is on the planet, and I like it to look beautiful as well. So I don't like ugly, shouty bottles hanging out in my house. You just fill your bottles with water, drop in the tablets, wait for them to dissolve. You never have to grab bulky cleaning supplies on your grocery run, which I have to say, having moved to New York has been, this has been, yeah, I don't want to eat plastic, okay? Sure. Yeah. I am want things to be better for the environment, of course. But honestly, the best thing for me is like not having to lug a bunch of cleaning supplies and when store I need them. them. I'm and sorry, and store them. I have no room. And so I have these little like tablets in a drawer. When my cleaning supplies are out, when my window cleaner's out, I drop a tablet in, water. That's it. Done. Refills start at just $2.25. And you can set up a subscription or you can buy in bulk. Anyway, I love Blueland so much. It has changed the way that I clean and the way that I feel about cleaning. And that I feel good about it. Blueland has a special offer for our listeners right now. You can get 15% off your first order by going to blueland.com slash best. You won't want to miss this. Blueland.com slash best for 15% off. That's blueland.com slash best to get 15% off. You're not going to regret it. I just was talking about how much I work have been have been working and how exhausted I am. Our guest today is literally one of the most hardworking people uh, ever, right? And she's out there making it happen, putting herself at risk. And she's been doing it legit since she was 18 years old, 19 child. years old, a, a child, child. Yes. an actual child. Whereas I was like, it was so hard to be on Freaks and Geeks. She was like, I was in Kosovo. Um, which is like, that is a true, that's true. That is a true story. Uh, we were so honored to have Lisa Ling as a guest on our pod. 
Hi, Lisa. Hi. Thanks for having me on. Um, I'm so happy to have you on. Thanks for being here. I'm really excited. (laughs) Well, Lisa, Lisa, I've been a fan of yours since I was a freshman in high school. (laughs) Oh, yeah. You watch. Okay. What what, what state did you grow up in? I grew up in Arizona. Okay. We were big in Arizona. And (laughs) Channel One was so, like, was like the greatest 20 minutes, 15. How long was it? It, it, it was 12 minutes to be exact with two minutes of commercial. Oh my God. So yeah. uh, for people at home who didn't have channel one, channel one was a news program, like current events news program that was put in certain public high schools in exchange yeah. for, we got, they put televisions in every homeroom. Exactly. It was in, you know, middle schools and high schools, public and private, but the schools all get, got television equipment and broadcast equipment. So, you know, all stuff that is completely irrelevant now, but you had to watch 12 (laughs) minutes. You had to watch 12 minutes of a news broadcast in order to get all that stuff in your school. Which then also had ads, right? It had ads. (laughs) Exactly. It was right. What were the ads for? Like, you know, teen stuff, Noxema and tampons and whatever, <laughs> right? But, you know, but busy, it was so controversial because it had ads, even though now every kid has a phone, right? And, you know, it's just like the, it's the, it's the cold, hard sell every second of the day. But yet when Channel One was in schools airing this news broadcast, it was super controversial because it had two minutes of advertisements. So, For sure. Can, now schools have like Taco Bells in them, don't they? <laughs> yeah. Totally. Well, yeah. Ironically, totally. at the time, my school did have a Taco Bell. In it. <laughs> <laughs> well, so, that's why that's why they didn't care about those commercials at and all. And Pizza Hut. We had Pizza Hut and Taco Bell. Um, we, had pizza, we had Pizza Hut and Chick-fil-A, but no sauce. Ooh, they gave whoa. us a bunch of chicken with no sauce. And I was like, why are you doing this to us? <laughs> <True. laughs> I'm jealous. Um, I'm jealous. I just had different shades of brown food every day at my school. Same. Um, oh, yeah. <laughs> what I would have done for a Taco Bell. I know. <laughs> it was actually really nice. A bean and cheese burrito still hits the spot. And of course, like we all know, the the nation knows and loves Lisa from when she joined The View. Right. Yeah. Well, Th- that was when yeah. I was like, this show is for me. This show, The View, <laughs> is for me. I like this woman. Thank you. It was, uh, it was funny because I, you know, I'd been on, on channel one for seven years, traveling all over the world and covering stories, you know, like I, in fact, when I got the call that I got the job on the view, I was covering the refugee crisis in Kosovo. Oh my (laughs) gosh. I was like 25 or 26 years old. And then in two weeks I was sitting at that table on the view after like having covered all this stuff. And the first question Meredith Vieira asked me on my first day on live TV was, so are you a virgin? (laughs) What? What? You know, you know, it's the view, right? (laughs) It's a good thing that there was not like no Twitter. That would have been. (laughs) Wait, Lisa, what year was that? What year did you join the view? 99, right? Uh, Yes, it was 99, 98 or 99. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Oh my gosh. I graduated. Yeah. I graduated from high school in 97. <laughs> Thanks, Busy. Thanks. <laughs> oh, but you're not that. I mean, you're only a couple of years older than me, but like, but in, you know, in that classic, like teen thing, you seemed like an adult because you were covering 
crises all over the world for me when I was a teenager. <laughs> you and Anderson Cooper, who also was on uh, Channel One, guys, just FYI. <laughs> and then when you got The View, I, I, I realized like, oh, you really aren't that much older than I am. Um, but then by that time, I was like 20. So everybody so you, on TV is a grown up. Everybody, everybody, everybody yeah. on TV is a grown up. That's what happened, especially if you were doing news. <laughs> but I'm just so curious, like post college and you wanted to be a, and you are a journalist, right? Right. What was the what was the dream? I guess I guess the dream when I was a kid, because I grew up, you know, in a totally non-diverse community and the only Asian person on television who was kind of high profile was Connie Chung. Mm-hmm. When I was a kid, you were, do you know who Connie? Con, you guys know Connie. Yeah, oh, yeah. love okay. Connie. She's oh, my hero. Before we before we even go on, everyone out there listening, look up. There's an, an iconic Connie Chung photo of her being the only woman in a newsroom. I have it posted on my Instagram, at least at least a Linkstagram, if you want to find it. But yeah. it is an amazing photo. <laughs> it but truly the only is. reason I asked the only reason I asked if you know her is because I have met young people who do not know who Oprah is right now. So. You know, because like, oh no, kids, kids oh. aren't watching TV. So I just, tur- I just turned to dust in my chair. It, it's like when, I know when Paul McCartney did that song with Kanye and Rihanna, and everyone was like, "Oh my God, that old man! It's gonna be so popular. That's cool <laughs> totally. for him. That's totally. so cool that old man got that." It makes me so sad. <laughs> totally, but yeah. So, so, so as a kid, I wanted to be Connie Chung. But then when I started working for Channel One, because they hired me as this young correspondent, and started sending me out to crazy places in the world to cover stories. I I started to realize I, I just want it I want to be in the field and I want to travel and I want to um, immerse myself in different worlds and different cultures. I mean, I was really young when when I was doing this, like in my late teens, early twenties, and it's kind of wild that I'm still doing that kind of stuff, you know, more than twenty years later. But I just I I love being in worlds that are just really different from mine. I mean, I, you're so good at it, and you like. Ha- found I don't know I think when you even if you're 19 20 years old and you find the thing that speaks to you you know you got to keep pursuing that that thing well that's why I always tell whenever I talk to college kids I always tell them before they jump into a job if you can travel even if or live somewhere that's different from where you grew up and different from where you go to college because it's just to me, it's so life changing when you have that experience when you're young. It totally just expands your horizons in such profound ways, and that's like the biggest piece of advice I always give people, young people. How did you start working for Channel One? As you were, how old were you? I was 18 when I started working for Channel One, and because it was seen in schools, they wanted like young looking correspondents mm-hmm. uh, to to come and. And be like cute-ish reporters and anchors. And over the years, Channel One decided that they really wanted to send its reporters out to cover stories. So when I first started at Channel One, I was kind of this like, you know, I had tons of makeup on, sitting at a, you know, at a desk reading news um, because I look like every other, you know, 16-year-old in high school. <laughs> but but then when they they decided, okay, we're actually gonna go out and try and report stories, they brought in all these producers who had worked at all the networks. And, uh, and it's funny because Anderson Cooper was a fact checker at channel one and wow. he went, yeah, he went to Vietnam to go do some, like, you know, to teach English 
And he ended up filming a lot of the stuff that he was doing in Vietnam. And it was so good that the head of Channel One decided, I'm going to put you on air. Like he went from fact checker to on air correspondent because the stuff that he was reporting or the stuff that he had collected in Vietnam was so good and so unlike what we were seeing on television. It was just like first person reporting. So that's kind of how like Anderson had a lot to do with Channel One changing from just being these like, you know, uh, like 9021 looking reporters to like <laughs> real, to, to, to correspondents out in the field. Wow. Who, who cool. still look like they could be on 90210. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, true. <laughs> to be fair, Shantira, yes. <laughs> and then what, yeah, was right. your, what was your family's reaction to like the first time that you told them you were going to go somewhere far flung to cover something? Well, my, my parents got a divorce when I was really young. And so I kind of, I, I grew up pretty independently. Like I grew up with my dad and he was always working. And so I could actually kind of disappear places uh, and say, I'm going off with my friends for a week and he wouldn't know. So, so for a significant part of my experience at channel one, neither my, of my parents like knew too much about where I was going. I mean, I went to <laughs> Afghanistan, Iran, yeah. Algeria, Colombia, Kazakhstan. Um, and I would often tell them after the fact, because I was always, I, I was already 18, you know, I was yeah. starting college at USC. I wasn't living at home. So yeah, so they didn't really know, you know, so I have a seven-year-old and a four-year-old. So I have a long way before they start like openly defying me, but I'm telling you, <laughs> I mean, if, if they even remotely pull that shit. <laughs> yes. What I was going to say is that you in 1999 could get away with that to a certain extent. No one had cell phones. There was no way to track people. You had to wait for someone to call your home phone and leave a message. So it was much easier to dodge your parents in yeah. the late <laughs> 90s and early 2000s than it is currently today to dodge your parents. That's very true, but I'd still be all over them. It's funny because, you know, <laughs> I live in Los Angeles. So my husband and I joke that, you know, when we talk about where they're going to go to college one day, even though I went to USC, I go, you know what? I'd rather them go to UCLA because USC is too far. <laughs> oh, my gosh. <laughs> Meanwhile, I'm in Afghanistan and in Iran. In my oh, my God. Place. So you were at Channel One for a number of years with Busy Phillips watching you and then <laughs> loving you, loving you. You and were that- our favorite. Oh, thanks, Izzy. That's awesome. Truly, like, like, truly, everybody, like, we all loved you and always wanted to see what crazy shit you were going to be in. (laughs) Like, you were always, because you were, like, in the trenches, and it was just, you were incredible. And, well, they had legitimate people. They had you and, obviously, Anderson Cooper and other journalists uh, on it. But, like, they were, like, talking to high school kids in a way that, that we hadn't been sort of talked to before about current events we were included in the story is my point do you know what I mean as opposed to us like not having a non-participatory uh view and that's like a thing that adults deal with now I think it's so commonplace for kids and young adult my 12 year old is like very you know socially active and Casey's kids have worked on political campaigns like you know but back then, I feel like we were sort of left out until that came along. And then we took a more interest in it. Well, no, I mean, I I, I hear you. And I, I actually wish that there was kind of like a like an informational news show that was kind of geared toward a younger generation, because now it's just like I watch news and I'm just like so appalled because it's all opinion, first of all. 
And second, like, even though kids have access to so much information, like, what are they really accessing? You know what I mean? Like, are they really seeking out things that are really substantive or just kind of like, swiping, right? I don't know. I, I, yeah. my, my kids are really young, so I don't know. It's tricky. I think it's really important that we get some critical thinking curriculum worked into schooling because that there's a whole buffet of information and we've seen what disinformation can do in this country in the past few years, especially. So I think that's, we need to really beef up critical thinking skills. For sure. I agree with you 100%. <laughs> But maybe you should do that that show for kids. <laughs> <laughs> maybe you should um, produce it. Okay, I'll, I'll keep that in mind. <laughs> so then you went from Channel One to The View, and Mer- Meredith Vieira is suddenly asking you in front of the entire country, "Are you a virgin?" What was that change like? You, you don't want to. Don't you want to know what I said? No, I'm kidding. I was already twenty six. <laughs> <laughs> I would have I would have lied through my teeth by the way. I would have been like um yeah, absolutely for sure. <laughs> well, well, what else? Yeah, my, if my mom was watching. Well, that, I think that's what I said. I was like, well since my dad is watching, um yeah. My conservative Chinese dad. <laughs> oh my god. But it was, you know what? It was it was fun. Um it was totally new for me cuz I'd never, you know, on the view you're kind of you have to perform. It's in front of a live audience and your job is to go for the laugh. You know, it's to go mm-hmm. for like the applause. And I had never done anything like that before. And it's 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 definitely it was definitely a rush, but at the same time, there definitely are things that I said and did for the laugh that I regret. But I don't know that people realize like there's that pressure to get that reaction and mm-hmm. it kind of just drives you. And it's that, 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 that was a, that was the thing that was most challenging for me. And also I think I, I always just wanted to go back into the field. I felt like I was so young at that time in my twenties. And if I didn't go back into the field at some point, then I wouldn't get another chance to do it. If I, if I just stayed, you know, and continue doing this job for a really long time. I worked at Channel One for seven years, and when the opportunity at The View came up, I hadn't thought about like a, a, a daytime talk show, right? Like, I, I just, it just wasn't even something that I ever thought I I would be interested in doing. But I did think if I could get this job, because remember, it was Barbara Walters, mm-hmm. Meredith Vieira, Star Jones, and Joy, right? I mean, you don't you don't get more you know high profile boss than Barbara Walters. So I thought, well, right. if I can get a job working next to her then at some point I, I will I, I will better be able to possibly dictate where I go from here. So that that was part of the thought process. Like I'll go here and hopefully it'll raise my profile. I mean, I honestly thought that after The View that I would, you know, go start working as a reporter for a network. You know, you normally when you want to get into reporting, you have to go to a smaller market like yeah. in Wichita, right? No, no disrespect to Wichita, right? Market one eleven. <laughs> there you go. There you go. Yeah. And I thought, like, okay, if I could bypass that process, maybe after working alongside Barbara Walters, I can get a job as a network reporter because my I'll have a bigger profile. And then this opportunity came up at the National Geographic Channel to host yeah. a, like a documentary-driven series. And, uh, and I was all in, but it was funny because they hired me having seen my work at channel one, but at the time national geographic was like the preeminent authority on like 
natural history, you know, in the animal world. And like, mm-hmm. I, that's not what I do. And so they really trusted me to do these more human stories, you know, and, uh, and, and, and report on things that they didn't really do as much. So that's kind of, it, it, it happened, you know, accidentally. And Nat Geo, even though it's such a widely known brand, Net, the Net Geo channel was a brand new cable network with like, you know, no viewership at all. So it was a, it was a, a bit of a transition. <laughs> That's amazing. <laughs> was Barbara Walters, when you were working alongside her, was she any type of hero to you? I, I mean, she's an iconic journalist herself. What was that like to be a young journalist sitting next to an iconic journalist on a talk show? <laughs> I mean, it was, it was surreal that I was, you know, I, I, I would look to my left and there's Barbara Walters. I mean, she, she, I can't think of a woman in, in broadcast journalism, right. Who, who has been more of a pioneer than Barbara Walters. So it was so surreal. And, you know, I mean, Barbara has always had a reputation, right. For, Mm -hmm. for certain things. (laughs) Right. And And I remember hearing Debbie Matinopoulos, who preceded me, she was the first young one on the video, talk about how Barbara used to like kick her under the table when she would <laughs> when she would say stupid things. So, so you know, like Barbara, she definitely she did said a lot things. of stupid things. Yeah. <laughs> to be fair, to be fair, <laughs> the kicks were maybe you know. You know what? You know what? She would actually also say that she said a bunch of stupid things. She's like, yes. oh my God, I didn't, I should not have been there. Like, it was, it was, anyway. <laughs> but yeah, so it was, so, so all those things were true. But at the same time, like, I could see that intensity in her. And I could totally see, like, that is a driven woman, you know? And I could see when she asks questions of people, even when she was asking questions of me, I'm like a 26 year old from Carmichael, California, you know, like I felt like I, I felt like I was going to cry every time because it was just like, she was so intense about it. So it was pretty Did she ever have to kick you? Uh, she may have kicked me once. She didn't kick me a lot, but, but I definitely, I can't say I ever emerged unscathed from the kicking. (laughs) Ooh, and th- that's the tea, everyone. That's that the is tea. The tea. Do you remember why you got kicked? I can't. I I honestly cannot remember at this time. I may have like been talking. I I I think I may have said something that I thought was an acceptable word on television. I think I may have said like "tit." Um, <laughs> oh, <laughs> all right, sure. <laughs> Right? I mean, wouldn't you think that would be an acceptable word? Or did Yes. <laughs> I would, that, actually. It probably is very now. funny to me. Yeah. Oh, yeah. my gosh. But it wasn't accepted back then. No. <laughs> Lisa, I just, I'm really, uh, I'm really a huge fan of yours. And I thank you for doing all the work. Well, thank you. Th- Thank you. And can we do can we do this in person one day? Yes. Yes. Oh, wow. Yeah. That would be so fun. <laughs> We talked to Natalie Morales, who directed this great movie called Plan B. Um, It's out now. You can watch it. Don't watch it with your teens, but watch it. And then maybe your teens will also watch it. Um, (sighs) But it deals a little bit with uh, how hard it has become in many, many, many places in this country to acquire birth control and or access to even like just women's health care period would you say that like directing is your biggest pivot or do you feel 
what do you do you feel like you have a moment in your life where things took the left turn when you thought they were gonna go I guess I had something that really that really did change my life that I could see changing my life when it happened and I've I've talked about this before but not in this way so when I lived in New York um because I was doing the show White Collar um, we had finished a season and I was moving back to LA just for like the year or whatever until we g- went back again. And right before I was going to move, this girl that I had just met was like, Hey, do you want to come to the opera? I have an extra ticket. And I was like, I've never been to the opera. How fancy this sounds great. And so I went to the Met and, um, sort of halfway through the first act, or sorry, in the intermission, the first intermission, I was walking down the stairs um, because her parents were at the bottom of the stairs and she's like, do you want to meet my parents? They're sitting down there. And I tripped and I fell uh, 20 steps and I landed face first on the balcony wall and I broke <gasps> my face. <laughs> and What? Yeah, oh and I couldn't... Uh, I couldn't see, and when I talked, all that happened was blood. Like, I couldn't see for, like, a good 15 minutes. Um, I thought I was blind. Um, I remember, literally, my first thought was, I, it was that thing where I hit the wall so hard. You know that, you <gasps> oh know that thing that happens in... Oh, no, at least I didn't go over the balcony. I That's really can't. Yeah, I, That's this true. Is, this is least. so terrifying to me. Oh, yeah. This is, like, my nightmare on. in life. Same, by the way, same. Um, I, I, I hit the wall. That thing happened where like, it sometimes happens in movies, but it does happen in real life where you hit your head so hard that all you hear is like, you can't hear anything else. Yes. And I try, I felt like hands on me. I couldn't see. I tried to speak and nothing but blood came out. And my first thought was, I guess I'll be a writer. Like that was literally what happened because <laughs> oh I thought my face was missing. Like I literally oh, was like, I don't have but, a face. But also, by the way, I love that you didn't. My, I do feel like my first thought would be like, I'm about to die. I knew I wasn't dying. I knew I was still alive. But I thought I, I was like, I don't have eyes and I can't, oh, I can't my speak. God. And I, and I, and my face is gone. Um, what ended up happening was I literally broke like my all, shattered like to dust every single bone in my nose and my cheeks and stuff right like dust right Natalie I, this is insane oh I know <laughs> I had to be like uh wheeled out I stopped the whole opera I had to be wheeled out of there by the t- my my favorite part of this it was it was <laughs> oh this, my god <laughs> it was this opera called Turandot which I still don't know how it ends by the way um, oh my god! <laughs> and and I I was I was like carted out of there. And I guess what happened is like shock blindness when you hit your head really hard, your eyes just stop fucking working. Sure. And I finally was able to see. Like when I was like blinking my eyes open, and I was you know with the neck thing. Also, everybody thought I broke my neck because I hit the <gasps> thing so hard. Oh I didn't. God. Thank God I didn't. But I was all strapped in. And, um, and on this stretcher backstage in this, uh, the first thing I see is a guy in like a full samurai costume just staring at me. And I was like, oh the my fuck God. are you looking at? <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, oh. I had to have like emergency reconstruction surgery because I literally had, there was like just nothing there. Oh my God. Um, how did you know that the plastic surgeon that they were bringing in was good? I didn't. So the guy at the ER was like, um, I was there all night and he was like, oh, by the way, <laughs> the worst part of this is that because I was bleeding like crazy, once they let me go, all I had was just 
blood red stains on my crotch uh, of my clothes and the pants that I was wearing just from my nose and my mouth. But I had to leave the hospital with a huge blood stain just on my crotch. Oh, my um, God. Anyway. Oh, my God. Uh, they couldn't have given you, like, a pair of shorts? No. I mean, I guess it's normal in New York, right? Like, you've seen worse. But the people, the guy at the ER was like, you don't want us to do this. You you don't want us to do this. I would suggest you get – you call every surgeon in town and get an emergency appointment, like, tomorrow or the day after. If not, it's going to get much, much worse. But you, you don't want anyone at this ER to do it. Like, it was like St. Vincent's or something. And I was like, right. okay. So I left not being able to breathe, like, not oh barely being able to see. Oh, my and God. I did, and I did – I called somebody. My, my friend had actually broken his – knows directing an episode of Gossip Girl at the Met Museum. No. <laughs> and he, yeah. And Why he, is culture so dangerous? I don't know. But he had just had that. So I was like, who was your surgeon? And she got me in. Um, but I didn't have like any pictures or anything. So she just kind of, she was like, look, this is rocks in space. I'm just making you a, a hole that you can breathe through, maybe. Um, you're going to have to have more surgery eventually um, to fix what I'm doing. So anyway, after that happened, um, my face was different like, and my voice was different. And also it took about a year to heal. And, and it was like a, a lava lamp for a year. It just was like shifting shapes because all the bones were healing. And um, like, would you sleep at night and then wake up and be like, oh, my nose is flat today? Yes. And also every day for a year, I would look in the mirror and be like, what's the fucking point of makeup or clothes? Because I hate the way I look. This is not me. Like, I didn't have my own face. So I was like, I I, it was a year of like severe depression because I had no control over my own face. Yeah. Literally. Yeah. And and um and it's it was my livelihood at the time, right? And I'm not saying it like turned me into some quasimodo thing, but like I also just didn't um look you, like me. You didn't um, want to move into the basement of the opera. <laughs> I mean I should have, right? I should have like haunted that whole place. You literally you literally were like the phantom of the opera. I, I, I should be. I should be. By the way, it was their their railing was wobbly and that's what no. propelled me forward. But oh I couldn't God. sue them for the medical charges because they're a historical building and they were exempt. So I got screwed. I paid. Are you like, kidding? No, it was like it, that night cost me like $100,000 um, oh out my. of my pocket. Well, easily, right? Yeah. Like that's the thing about that's so fucked. That's not, yeah, and that's not even considering everything also, else. Also, by the way, come on, opera. Yeah. Fucking cough it up. Yeah, we know how so, much money you're raking I in. I'm teasing. I, yeah, operas. I, yeah. I don't think they are. I don't. Maybe they are. Are they? Um, I don't know. But so what a what a strange year. So this is not probably this pandemic hasn't even probably been the strangest year that of was, your life. What's crazy is that that was exactly that was 2010. So it was exactly 10 years ago. Um, and and so I I was on this show, and then we they were like, "You've been let go from the show." Um, oh my god! And didn't tell me why. Um, although I felt like I knew, and how then could, I didn't. Yeah, get, how can they say like? Yeah, and then I didn't get. Um, I didn't get jobs for a while, and I don't know if it was the way my face looked or my own insecurity about the way I looked or whatever. But it really pivoted things for me in this way that I was like, uh, okay, I have to just kind of deal with, um, you know. I have to be whatever this new person is because that's who I am now. And like, I just have to live in this face. 
and figure it out. And, um, and then I just started building back up and doing smaller guest star roles again and then, and then getting more work that way. So, Okay, now I'm like obsessed and I'm looking at pictures of you. I'm Googling because I literally had no idea. I've known you for a long time and I've like... I think I met, met you, you after. I must have met you after. Yeah. So, I, so I just Googled you in 2009... There's a Pinterest page. Um, oh my God. <laughs> wait, is this your is this your old face? Yep, that's my old face. Yeah. I mean, it's not too far off. From I'll show me. you. It's 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 it um, is? it's it's not if you like from the front, it's not crazy different from the side. It's I mean, I have a much uh, the cheeks are not as different as they were. My upper lip is totally different, and my nose is like it was a bigger like. Uh, uh, a thinner nose and now it's wider and flatter. Um, I'm sure, by the way, <laughs> I'm sure to you, it's so much more noticeable yes, than yes. it would be. Oh, I of mean, course. But, but also if you, I, I was watching um, this show, The Middleman, that was the first show that I did the other day with somebody who really wanted to see it, who had never seen it and was like, oh my God, every scene he was like, what? How is it that you, you look so insanely different? And I was like, I know, I keep telling people, but I, you know, it is more obvious to me, I'm sure. I'll send you some pics, Busy. I'll send you some pics. Okay, because I, 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 this is like, this is truly wild. I, I've thought about this a lot. I fell holding Birdie when oh they were God. a baby and protected Birdie and smashed my face. This is so crazy into a very strong waitress's leg. <laughs> <laughs> So it was not a wall, not basically a human balcony. It yeah. was a, no, no. I mean, pro- <laughs> honestly, maybe the force that Natalie flew with, but definitely the landing, a, softer, a little softer landing, was a little yeah. bit softer, but still tough. Yeah, still, still tough, still hard muscle. And I did, I did break my nose, but it was when I was on Cougar Town, and I had to fly back from Arizona. I was in Arizona. I had to fly back from Arizona. On Southwest, they were giving me ice to put on my nose. I had a baby with me. It was insane by myself. And then I (laughs) I have the story of moving back to L.A. like that. Oh, yeah. Oh, no. I can't even imagine. I can't even imagine. And then I went to my ENT immediately, like as soon as I landed. And he was like, "Okay, here's the plastic person you can go to. But, you know, you've got. The good, you've got the good cartilage and like, so cartilage can either bend like a tree, tr- you know, like a wet tree, like mm-hmm. a branch or it can snap and mine, mine bent. And so then they just like sort of bent it back and That's it was fine. great. You I know. Have a fantastic nose. It was gr- Thank you. I love you have, my nose. You have a great nose. Thanks. But I'm trying I to find also, a good picture. I'll send you one. But later. then I was like, but I did have that moment where I was like, what if this changes my face forever will I how will I deal with that what is it even like I couldn't even comprehend it so to have that happen especially like at the beginning of your acting career essentially yeah I mean yeah I was 25 um I mean yeah you're so young and I mean like needless to say you're a very beautiful woman thanks (laughs) but 
that it, it's it's not even a question of that. It's like a question of identity at a time. Yeah, like that's when what you're, it was. It's identity. It, when your yeah, identity I, is forming. Exactly. Right. I knew that objectively it wasn't like I was like, you know, marred and made would be made fun of for my face forever. You right. know, I knew that. It just wasn't me. It wasn't something I chose and it wasn't right. something I wanted. So it just was a different face. And then like after it healed, I did what she said and I made an appointment with the top three like plastic nose surgeons in LA because I also still can't breathe through my nose well. It's like breathing through coffee stirrers. I, like, I couldn't, <laughs> I, I, I really couldn't. I can't hike. I get like, I like pass out. <laughs> what do they even do? But what do they even do for that? So because they, it's, that's what I said. I was like, I would like my old nose back if possible, but mostly I would like to breathe. And, and the first guy was like, um, so this is, I have to take a piece of your rib out and put it in your nose. It's going to take about a year to heal. It's a very Jesus, complicated surgery. Like biblical. It's really bad. The second guy was like, um, no, I'm not touching you. It's too, uh, it's too crazy. And I'm, I, I can't, I, I, with like my doctor's license cannot touch your face. And the third guy was like, yeah, easy. No problem. So I did nothing because I was too scared. I did nothing. It's still the same. I've done nothing. Did you ever see, because I had sinus surgery, sinus, sinus surgery. Did you ever see a sinus surgeon? I didn't. I literally never did anything. My heart is going out to you because like anyone that has any type of- I mean, I'm fine. I'm fine, but it was it was a pivot for sure because I was like, but you were like literally at an age where like if someone got like bad bangs, it would send them into (laughs) a spiral for a month until they grew out. So like I'm like my heart is just, I yeah I wonder in that year when you were like sort of trying to wrap your face around your new face. (laughs) Um, Did you start to write more? Did you start? How did it? Yeah, okay, I did. I did. I did. And so how did that, how did it like, tell us the, the silver line, tell us the break. That was, yeah, that was the year I started directing music videos and, and, um, started directing more because I wasn't getting work. And, and also by the way, neither were, um, my like really talented Brown friends were not getting cast in shit that I knew that they could do. And, and so I was like, I want to put people in things and I want to make stuff for us, even if it's not for anybody else. And so, um, yeah, that is, that's the year I started directing music videos and doing stuff because, um, a, I didn't know if I was going to be working as an actor anymore. And, and B, I was like, I have to, I have to, I have to like accept that this is what my life is, which is fine. It's so much better than it could have been in so many fucking ways, right? Of course. Um, And so I'm like, all right, like I, I have to get. I stopped looking at myself in the mirror because for a while, because it literally depressed me because I did not recognize the person. Um, And then, and then, you know, once it stopped hurting, which really was like a year. I always talk about like for the first like six months. Sneezing was the most painful oh, fucking thing gosh. on the planet. And then after that, sneezing was orgasmic. It was like, <laughs> it was the best feeling on the planet. And once I got to that stage where I wasn't in pain all the time and I was like, whatever, fuck it. This is my fucking face and I'm going to just keep doing what I'm doing. It, it, you know, I think part of it also, it helped because I, I, as an actor, I think it's, it can be such a trap of like, wanting to look a certain way or feeling like you need to look a certain way in order to get work or to be seen for things or to be considered for things. And I just stopped fucking caring. 
Um, well, thanks for taking so much time with us. And we love talking to you. And I like Same. seeing you. And- I'm so happy to be on the show. I'm such a fan of it. So I'm so excited that I got to be on it. So thank you for having me. Natalie. Thank you for coming. It was nice to see your face. Yeah, and you looking too. great. Thanks. Element, element, we love you. Element, 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 we love you. Element. Oh my goodness, you know how much I love Element. I do not go a day without getting my electrolytes and hydrating with a nice, tall, cold glass of Element. Element is a tasty electrolyte drink mix with everything you need and nothing you don't. That means lots of salt with no sugar. It contains a science-backed electrolyte ratio, 1,000 milligrams sodium, 200 milligrams potassium, 60 milligrams of magnesium, which is crucial. With none of the junk, no sugar, no coloring, no artificial ingredients, no gluten, no fillers, no BS. Guys, you know how I feel about electrolytes. Whether it's a couple glasses of wine, you know I'm guilty of that. Or working out, you know I've been doing a lot of that. Or just an active lifestyle, you know I'm doing that. Or hitting those picket lines, you know I'm doing that. You need to replenish those electrolytes. By the way, this is how great Element is. Element has been so great to send some extra element for us to take out to all the striking laborers who are on strike and share it with them so that they stay hydrated in in the hot sun on the hot picket lines during hot labor summer. That is super cool of element. Um, For me, magnesium is such a big deal and hydration is such a big deal because of cramps. I just get terrible <laughs> muscle cramps. It's just uh, the way the way that God made me. I get terrible muscle cramps. And the only thing that really prevents them is staying extra hydrated and that magnesium. Electrolytes are responsible for so many functions in your body. The conduction of nerve impulses, hormonal regulation, nutrient absorption, fluid balance, an element is there for you and it can help prevent and eliminate headaches, muscle cramps, fatigue, sleeplessness. I have had friends before who are like, I've had a headache for three days. I don't know what's wrong with me. I've been... And I give them an element, a packet of element in their water. And then like literally 25 minutes, 20 minutes later, they're like, huh, I feel better. Yeah, because you needed electrolytes. Okay. Right now, Element is offering our listeners a free sample pack with any order. That's eight single-serving packets free with any Element order. It's a great way. You can try all flavors or you can share Element with a salty friend. Get yours at drinklmnt.com slash best. This deal is only available through our link. You must go to D-R-I-N-K-L-M-N-T dot com slash best drink element dot com slash best try it totally risk-free if you don't like it you can just give it away share it with a friend and element will give you your money back no questions asked you have nothing to lose and only your electrolytes to gain busy i know that one of the things that you don't love about being a cat owner is how much their food stinks. Their old food didn't smell great. And I sort of hated it every time. 
it was my turn to feed her and him. The cat food of the past, and and I have certainly been a cat owner in, in the past. The cat food of the past, it just, it wasn't good. And so that's why I know you're so happy that we found our next partner, Smalls. It's cat food that's protein-packed, made with preservative-free ingredients, and it's delivered right to your door. I know that you love Smalls because it just is healthy and nutritious. You want to take good care of your cats. You want to keep them out of the vet's office, if you possibly can, by keeping their diet very healthy. They need fresh, protein-packed meals to be at their best. And Rosie and Gildo love it. Love it. And their breath has been so much better since switching over to Smalls. Anyway, we love Smalls. And after making the switch to Smalls, I'm not the only one. 78% of cat owners reported that cats had shinier, softer fur. 90% uh, reported overall health improvements. That's a big deal. I think your cat's fur is shinier. It's a big deal. You want to take good care of your kitties. Remember, Higher quality ingredients means a healthier and happier life for your kitty. So head to smalls.com slash best and use promo code best at the checkout for 50% off your first order plus free shipping. That's the best offer you'll find, but you have to use our code best for 50% off your first order. One last time, that's promo code best for 50% off your first order plus free shipping. Smalls.com slash best. Here's what we are going to do. We're going to listen to our interview with a woman who, oh gosh, it was so incredible to talk with her. And she uh, was someone I loved, loved watching when I was a kid. And um, she was just really delightful. And I am going to give you a, a trigger warning that we there is a suicide discussion in this interview. So if you if that is something that is difficult for you to hear, maybe this is your trigger warning. But I think she says a lot of really valuable things. And I really enjoyed getting a chance to meet her. I'm kind of obsessed with the actress, Julia Duffy. Julia Duffy, hi. Hi. Do you know what a, okay, I, I'm just gonna, okay. I've been having a lot of things going on in my life, Julia. A lot of things happening. And I didn't know we were talking to you today because things in my life <laughs> were happening. And then I saw it, this morning, and I was like, oh, my God, I'm going to cry. Because, Julia, when I was a kid, I would watch Newhart with my parents, and I was like, I can be that on TV. I can be her. I know I can be her. I know I can do that. That's who I'm going to be on television. 
You said, I'm going to take her place when she ages out to your parents, (laughs) Yes, I immediately, I already knew how Hollywood worked. No, but I like, I just, you were, you were such, um, like a comedic inspiration to me, uh, as a kid. I loved when you were on Designing Women for a bit. Like I was, I always would follow you and get super excited when I would see you and, um, pop up in anything. Cause I always just like, I don't know. I felt like you were, you really were like one of the first times I saw a character on television that I was like, that's who I should be. Here's the truth. Julia Duffy, you're a comedic icon working alongside Bob Newhart. I mean, like Bob Newhart is, he's like America's comedic gem icon of all time. And like, there you are next to him. And I feel like you really paved the way for our Angela Kinsey's on the office. And you know, I mean, just listen and spoiler alert. You're also really 10 times more funny in real life. I feel like, which is wild to me. Well, I think I need writers, but that's very nice. <laughs> you are funny all of the time. I have to say you're very active on Twitter. You're one of my favorite people on Twitter because you just talk to and are hilarious and lovely with everyone. I see you on my timeline all the time and it always just makes me extremely happy because you are legitimately so funny in real life that it's it. I mean, I got to be honest. I was shocked. <laughs> that's all very sweet. But don't you think that Twitter just kind of gets under your skin and makes you like funnier and quicker? Like if you're in a room full of funny people who are quick, um, you get inspired. Yeah. Because yes. my Twitter feed is fantastic. I beautifully curated it apparently or accidentally. And <laughs> um, it's they're like my friends now. It's a little sad. I don't know them, but <laughs> is it? Is it sad? My, I don't think it's sad. I don't know. It's like when you had uh, an invisible friend when you were little, and except um, I have a lot of them, <laughs> <laughs> and um, I I want to meet them in real life. Well, Julia, let's talk about you. Oh, uh, okay. Uh, okay. <laughs> okay, Newhart is a was a huge starring role. You were fairly young. Had you always, acting was always your passion. You wanted to become an actor. You moved to New York to go to drama school. Yeah. Yeah. I always wanted to be an actress. There was, there were no other choices. And uh, I mean, I would sit like this far from the TV and I would watch these little girls on shampoo commercials. (laughs) And I would think I could do that if I could just get it to go under, like if just (laughs) under a little bit. I could do that. And I was obsessed with it. And, you know. I memorized a milk commercial when I was. Oh, you did? Oh, so yeah. you know. Yeah, yeah. I memorized yeah. a milk commercial. I still know it to this day. But yeah, I I get it. I get it. And then yeah, I saw I got- you and I was like, well, there, I'm going <laughs> to, that's what I'm going to be on a sitcom someday. You right. guys both had similar childhood dreams. Busy's wishing for very strong bones. Julia's wishing for hair that flipped under. Yeah. Wait, but Julia also, by the way, my birthday is June 25th and you're June 27th. Um, yes, I am. And do you know, so I'll tell you who else was born on my birthday. <laughs> oh, I always win this when people ask Helen Keller and Captain Kangaroo. Oh, oh my God. Wow. <laughs> yeah. So whatever you think about astrology, 
Just just think about that. <laughs> also, wait, also, I think Mike White is also the oh, 27th. That's really? That's very cool. Okay. Oh, interesting. Interesting. So you've been acting since you were a little girl, though. Well, in community theater and that sort of thing, I desperately wanted to take dance lessons because oh, I had friends who were taking dance lessons, uh, but we couldn't afford it. We had like no money. My mother raised us by herself. My father left when I was a baby. I'm the youngest of four girls. And um, I kept bugging her. And then finally, I found some brochure for dance lessons that were $1.25 a lesson. And she one day said, okay, you can take dance lessons. I was so excited. And I was just obsessed with what color leotard would I get. And then I went over to my friend's house and uh, her mother said, uh, her, her daughter was named Kathy and she said, I'm going to send Kathy downtown to take drama lessons at the McPhail Center for the Performing Arts in Minneapolis, but I don't want her to go alone. Do you want to take drama lessons? And I said, do I? <laughs> and so, I, I mean, like a giant light bulb went off over my head and I ran back to my house, which was like five feet away. These are row houses. And I told my mom and she said, well, you have to choose. We can't afford both. And it was actually a little cheaper to take the drama lessons. So I took the drama lessons. My neighbor, Kathy, dropped out quickly. And the rest is history. I would take the bus downtown all by myself at 10. Oh, my God. Yeah. Once a week. 10 years old. Yeah. Taking the the bus in Minneapolis, Minnesota. Correct. That's right. And I knew how to walk to the place. And I walked very carefully there. And one day I would walk by the local KTLA or something. No, that's here. No, it was W's there, WCCO TV or something. And I would walk by their TV station (laughs) on my way to drama class. And I kept thinking, wow, that's a TV station. (laughs) And so I worked up my courage one day and I walked in and I walked up to the desk, to the receptionist. And I said, do you need any actors? Because I'm an actor. Oh my God. And she, lesser, kept a straight face. And she said, uh, and I think I had some sort of a picture of myself. It certainly wasn't an eight by 10. I wouldn't have even known that existed. And she said, I will ask, I will tell them that you asked, give me your number and your picture. And I did. And I never heard from them. Oh my God. (laughs) Okay, so can you tell us a little bit about what it was like working on the set of New Heart? The set of New Heart was everything you think it would be and more. It was nothing but laughing all day long. We would actually be a little nervous on Friday night when the audience came in because we sort of wondered if we'd ever um, gotten through a scene. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, It was... It was, you know, there's a method to the madness, but it was a great deal of screwing around. And I would come home and tell my husband not to say anything funny because my stomach hurt so much from laughing. I couldn't laugh anymore. (laughs) Oh my gosh. Okay. I have a really specific question about Bob Newhart, which is that we know him as his comedic persona is dry, dry, dry. Mm -hmm. Does he laugh when he's not performing? Is oh, he- yes. Yes, yes, yes. He laughs. He's a laugher? <laughs> yes, he's definitely a laugher. 
um, we would all lose it sometimes. <laughs> uh, I mean, he's pretty disciplined, but yeah, he. there were times we just couldn't go on. We were all laughing so hard. And in person, you would find him, uh, you would find him a little wilder. His, his sense of humor, you would find uh, a little bit edgier than what he does for audiences. In fact, with the three of them together, Tom and Peter and Bob, oh my God, uh, there were there were a lot of R-rated jokes. <laughs> a, a lot. Oh my God, was, I love that. I there love were it. No li- there were no limits. Comedy was king. The joke was king. The, the joke was always king. The joke, if it was there, you had to make the joke, no matter how dark or how anything. We all put the joke first. Nothing else mattered. To the point where, you know, you'd say, this person should say this line. It works better if he has this punchline and I do this. Because we didn't care about anything except the joke. I know you <laughs> stay in touch with him. Mm-hmm. That makes me really happy me to hear. Yeah, he, um, we did a Zoom and I-, I just couldn't believe it. He was so quick. He was <laughs> as quick as ever. And when he, like, when he emails me, he always finds some snarky way to tease me. <laughs> Always. Just some turn of phrase to <laughs> keep me on my toes. He loves to tease. Julia, <laughs> we talk a lot about pivots in yes, I know. life and career and things that, you know, make us um, have to reevaluate the plans that we thought we were making. Yeah, I've been thinking a lot about pivots since I was catching up on your show. And I was thinking about, first of all, I was thinking about life pivots, of which I've had a major one. And I started to think about how much this is part of people's lives. And I thought about my mother, who really had to pivot when her husband, my father, left when I was a baby and left her to raise poor children by herself. She had no car. There were debts. And she wound up being a successful businesswoman. And also never complained about her lot in life. It's amazing. And I realized that that did so much for me because I internalized this fact that you can move on, you, you, that moving on is incredibly important. And then, I, so I was going through this whole thing in my head because of this show. And then I thought about um, my great-grandmother who came from Ireland at 16 during the potato famine. And I thought, well, there's a pivot. <laughs> and maybe there's something in the DNA. Uh, and then I thought about Okay, where did when did I have to pivot in my career? And I thought that just seems so petty. <laughs> when I think about these life things, my life things, and my mother's life things, um, so I just wanted to just really bring us down there and say that that was my uh, <laughs> train of thought. But as far as my career, the biggest pivot of all is just being older, and. <sighs> It's like you're starting over. You're in a different category. You're a different type. You're doing different things. Um, you're reading for the type of characters you never did before. And it's like, it's really like starting over. And I will compete with actresses. I never knew who they were until they were like 50 or <laughs> older because they fit this time so well, this type so, so well. And they cast by type so much in my age range because, uh, and I don't want to sound ungrateful. I'm just, I'm just saying it as a reality. I'm not saying it as that I'm pissed. I'm just saying it as a reality. Most 
things are written by people who are in their 30s and 40s right. and even 20s. And large percentage of them are male. Yes. And when they write a middle-aged woman or a grandmother, they don't know them from the inside. They can't even guess. They've never thought about it. And so they are, they are writing types for middle-aged women over and over again, most of which would have worked perfectly well in 1955. And the thing that just drives me crazy, and I've mentioned it to several writers politely, if you're writing something current day, and the woman is my age, or I'm playing somebody who's, let's say, 60, and she's a baby boomer, and you name her Myrna, then you are telling me that you don't have a fucking clue as to what you're writing. Right. She grew, she probably was at Woodstock and you're giving, they were Peggy and Kathy and Sue. These were the names. It just tells me they're not paying attention. And it bothers me a lot, as you can tell, because they're not giving it the thought that it deserves. But honestly, when they do write it as such a strong type, I look at it and I think, well, I wouldn't cast me either because right. it they, they're making it this type in order to work. And there are much, much stronger types in my age range than I am. I'm not a strong type as these types go. And so that's the frustration, I guess, is that uh, I've never, I for a long time, I was lucky and I looked like the type of roles that I got uh, because I was an ingenue. I looked like an ingenue. I played an ingenue. Oh, for so long. And now I don't at all. So have I successfully pivoted? Well, I don't have any control over this. So I can't really say very much about my ability to pivot. Part of it was um, theater, doing theater, because, oh, my God, the roles are so good. And the good thing is, when a role is good, it's good in a way I never got to do before. It's all new to me, and it's great. Um, for instance, that my biggest successful pivot part of this was, and I'm trying to think how many years ago it was, but I think I was still in my like late 50s. So hard to remember exactly how long ago it was. But they were doing um, Little Foxes at the Pasadena Playhouse, mm-hmm. and I wanted to read for Birdie. And... I thought, well, they'll never, ever see me. But I just knew somehow I had a feeling for that role. And somebody kept on them, and they finally agreed to see me. And during this time, between my finding out they were doing it and getting the audition, it was like two months. And I worked on it every day. There were times my husband would leave the house so I could be alone. And I worked on my accent, and I worked on everything just in case I got the audition. And when I did, I got like 20 hours notice. But I was ready. And it was one of the times that that kind of a commitment paid off. And I got the part. And it meant the world to me to play this Southern abused, drunken woman. For some reason, I felt like it was my role. And so there is a pivot that worked. Um, Julia, you said when we asked you to be on the show, you said that you were nervous. And I think you did a great job. You know, I was nervous because I didn't know if I was going to go into a life pivot or a career pivot. Yeah. And um, it, it, um, it's so hard to say this. And I don't know if we have time. I'm we always have time for you. We literally always have time. Um, 
it, it just it got me thinking a lot because um, as a lot of people, but not everybody knows that we lost our son uh, two and a half years ago oh, God. to suicide. And oh. he was all his life a victim of a mood disorder. Um, but he had long, he had some really incredible periods of being very productive and successful. And I am always torn about, of course, I talk to people, but of course, it's not a secret. Of course, you can Google it and that sort of thing. But um, I've never really had a platform on which to discuss it. And it kind of kept me awake. But on the other hand, you want to honor the person. Yes. And not talking about them isn't honoring them. So it's that being torn between being private and and doing some good by saying it. And it was a pivot just to have him and have him be diagnosed at age six with a mood disorder and have school be this incredible challenge. It was a pivot to a different kind of parenting. Losing him was a different kind of parenting. It's also a pivot. I'm still his mom. Yeah. And I'll do everything for him forever. Because he left a lot behind. He had a very successful animated show called Crack Duck, which gets a lot of um, millions of views on YouTube and has been on TV in Canada. And, uh, you know, I just really want to brag about him rather than talk about my pivot. Um, the Cartoon Network started a Adult Swim channel in Canada and they asked the production company in Toronto for which he made this show for more episodes to program their new channel. And they listed 50 series that they wanted to have more episodes of. And number one on the list was Cracked And uh, when she had known that, I found that out just weeks after. Um, but he had a long period in adulthood of being very productive. In fact, uh, ben Blacker presided over a pilot competition thing at um, a South by Southwest TV Festival that Danny think, tied for first place in. And I mean, he had people coming after him, Disney and um, who did the Minions, whatever that company is. But a lot of people like that coming to him, coming to him at Comic-Con. Um, he was in Fred Willard's Sketch group, Moho's for a year. He's a great sketch writer. And nobody ever made me laugh harder than him. And um, it is quite a pivot. It was quite a pivot when I had a child that needed all of this, this brilliant child who needed all of this constant care. Um, but Great social skills, lots of friends, uh, so much success that I admire having to overcome modes that just attack you. 
Um, and unfortunately, it comes back. You know, you think you can go off medication, yeah. you everything can be fine even for years, and it'll come back. And what I really want the world to know is there's no ether up here. It's all biology. It's physical. You cannot judge behavior that comes from a chemical imbalance. And it would help all of these people if our society could wrap their heads around that. And that's my mission. Well, Julia, I am very moved and very grateful as a parent um, that you were open about sharing that with us because it's something that I know uh, without getting too much into the details, but I know I have had to learn a great deal about um, in my parenting journey. And I'm just grateful. It's very generous of you to mention this here and to talk about it because I know there's probably a lot of parents listening that either know this journey already or that it's going to make them realize, you know, a light bulb is going to go off in, in their head about some things. So I know that's probably the most difficult thing to talk about, but you, you honored him beautifully. Uh, he, he sounds like he is, was a really special person. And uh, so thank you for sharing about him because I'm happy to get to know him a little bit through you. Well, watch Crack Duck. You see the result of his incredibly bizarre brain. Uh, but it got to a lot of people. Uh, it, he he really had a lot of fans because he was addressing their issues very creatively and very, very humorously. But one thing I do want to say in my little spiel about all this is one of the things that bothers me the most is when people say, well, we can't, we don't ever want him to go on medication, I'm not going to go that route. It's not a one-way street. Yeah. You could try it. Yeah. You could just try it for a while and see. Yeah. You have to acknowledge that it has saved lives. I think that I'm, I'm with you 100%. There's a, you know, listen, there's like a thing that has sort of been pervasive in the last decade or two that has led us literally to this place of like anti-vaxxers. Yes. You know what I mean? But it's all weirdly to me, I feel like it's all weirdly a part of the a very of a similar of a puzzle. It's all part of a puzzle of of a way of thinking and and like a dogma of belief about science, like that you might know better than people who've studied this and are experts in the field. People also have to realize that a child has nothing internal, internally to draw on when they don't have that in order to control themselves. They don't, they don't have it until they're much older. Right. And their brain will not develop with the ability if you don't give the brain a chance by calming down those brain chemicals. It is physical. It's not... Um, some starry space in our heads. It's a physical thing that should be treated one way or another. There are, of course, there are strategies, but you've got to give them a chance. And it can't be what your philosophy of life is 
that directs what you do for the kid. Just as if the kid was in the hospital with leukemia, you would do what it took to get the blood right again. Mm -hmm. And you have to think of it that way. You have to be clinical about it. It helps to do that. But, oh, we are still on the wrong track here. It can't hurt to talk to someone. And you can't think of it as a parenting problem. But our society is very has a very egocentric notion of parenting. Yeah. That we're that we're what it's all about. We make mm. or break the person and how they turn out. And mm. it's just not true. There's still just a lot of biology they come into the world with. And you have to respect that and you have to deal with it. But it is so difficult to think that it's not parenting, especially when the child when the symptoms are misbehavior. Right. And people just don't believe, they can't wrap their heads around the fact that it isn't the parenting or that they're the ones that need to say, hey, buddy, look at me. Every time somebody did that, I wanted to scream. It was the worst approach at all. Right. Of all. And then, of course, when somebody did have the right approach, just my husband and I would, you know, want to buy them a house or something. We're just like... (laughs) Oh my God, just stay in our lives. They were so rare. It takes a certain kind of sophisticated thinking maybe to to grasp this because the other is so much easier to grasp. Yeah. Well, we are just, we're just sending you so much love. Thank you. It's hard to find the right words to say, but it's really incredibly generous of you to take this moment just to remember your son and share with other parents that might see that they're on a similar path. Because that's one thing I learned, too, is that parents don't have a lot of places to turn to. You know, I got I got a lot of calls from parents saying, I know this is not your job, but I know you know a little something about it. Can you help me even know where to start? And uh, so it's just, it's really generous of you to to share that with us. And we're sending you so much love and so much love to your son because he sounds like a heck of a guy. And the other thing I want to say is, I used to want to say, you think it's me? If you notice my daughter is beautifully behaved. I mean, think about it. Yeah. <laughs> it's yeah. not all the parent. Get over yourselves. So that's a thing that I think is a very important message. I think people will free themselves if they let go of the notion that it's all parenting, mm-hmm. that we are we have the power to fix it all or uh, control it. You have to look at things scientifically. Well, we know our our country isn't being very scientific about things now. <laughs> Julia, thank you so much for giving us so much of your time and your heart, and also making us all laugh forever and also um, making me realize that I could be on television. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I'm happy to have done it. I had no idea that I had done that for you. You you took it and you ran with it. You did very well. And I can't wait to catch up on uh, Girls 5 Eva. You're both delightful. Casey, you are delightful on Twitter. Oh, have I not seen Busy on Twitter? Well, she's on there sometimes. She pops on. But Julia's on Instagram too. So, okay, I'm following you immediately. All right. Okay. 
Then I'll try to think of something to post. <laughs> um, Julia Duffy, you are so wonderful. Thank so- you. You are both. You really, you do something. I've listened to a couple of them and you really do something good with, with the podcast world. Thank you. That means a lot. That means a lot to us. We're trying. (laughs) Listen, guys, we were so lucky to talk, chat with Nikki Glazer, who talks faster than me, which is saying something. Yeah, it's impressive. I didn't quite know what the pivot or what the interview was going to really be about when we when she was coming on the show because she's got a podcast that she does daily, a daily yes. podcast, which is yes. so cool. It's great. And, and I just want to say this, like, so I was really, I, I felt like the, the conversation was like super honest and really unexpected to me. And I just want to give a trigger warning because I just need to give a trigger warning, but we're yeah. going to talk about eating disorders and, um, like dependency issues, dependency like some, issues, some, some sure, concerns sure. about dependency and yeah, mm-hmm. eating, eating disorders. And I would like, just say like more the, the trigger might be for eat, eat, eating disorders yeah. and stuff. So just um, if, if that's something that's hard for you to, to listen to, then just know that that might be hard for you to listen to or choose to not listen to it exactly. if you don't want to. Exactly. But I think that some good, she, I, I, I just listen, just listen. I'm so glad to have been able to see you right now because I honestly, you first came on and I go, I'm not going to say anything because I've never met you in person and uh, I don't want to just start off just like kissing your ass right away. Like the, yeah. that that could yeah. be, because you know, sometimes when people just start complimenting you off the top, you're like, okay, I mm. see this is this is a girl's scheme to get people to like her. Um, yeah, but which always, just, by the way, works. It does. Like I know. And that's the thing is like when it's honest, <laughs> when I have a compliment for someone, I just give it. And, but I did question giving it to you. I thought it before I said it for a while. Like the second I saw you, I was like, Jesus Christ. Nikki, I am. So, what the fuck? I'm so happy to have you here. You're in your normal recording place, right? Yeah. This is where you normally do things. I know. Cause look at all the setup and it's so good. I'm I, on vacation. I love that Casey is in a, uh, parking lot of a, uh, wait, wait uh, Taco Bell in Wyoming. I mean, Taco you could write Wyoming. a more random like compilation of <laughs> settings right now for her. Like it just but, kept getting uh, more specific and, and funnier. Nikki, where do you live? I live in St. Louis right now. Um, I am. Uh, I, yeah, I live in St. Louis because I moved back here during the pandemic. Like at March 2020, I moved in with my parents yeah. And cause I was in between places. I was moving into a new place in New York. I gotten rid of all my furniture. I just rent started a lease March 1st of 2020 Stop for an it. apartment that was like going to be my bachelorette pad of like, I'm an adult. I'm going to treat myself. I've earned this money. Let's live large. Let's have an elevator that open is your front door, ele- an elevator that is your door. Like that was just like the mark I've made it. Like I hear a ding when I walk in every, like that's so, I'm so rich and <laughs> yeah. I've made it and I'm successful. That is fancy. It's so that fancy. is like some fancy. That's fucking all shit. I needed. Yeah. I, I wish there was yeah. that little box to click on Zillow or whenever you're looking because I honestly will take any kind of place that has an elevator. It just makes you feel special except when I realize I'm so actually glad I never got to live there. If say you have a break in, right? Usually someone's knocking on down your door and like has right. to like make a lot of cluttery noise before you get raped and murdered. But like uh-huh. if you have an elevator that is your door, you just hear 
ding, ding. And then you're like, and then you're dead. Am I about to die? Like it, yeah, that kind of freaked me out because I have a roommate now in St. Louis and I make him announce when he walks in the door, he goes, not a rapist because I would, sometimes he's listening to music or I'll go, Andrew, and he'll, he won't hear me. And I just go, I have seconds where I can't see the intruder and I know I'm about to have to fight for my life. Like I, I get into that mode and it's so scary being a woman to you Being a woman is terrifying. Yeah. Do you feel like- I don't like, like living alone and that's why I have a roommate, yeah. No, I don't like living alone So I either. moved back with my parents and that's just to make a really long story even longer than it needed to be. Yeah. I moved back with my parents because I didn't have anywhere to go. I had no f- new furniture. I was getting this place like redone, adult style Nikki. I got rid of all my like West Elm shit that had been off Craigslist <laughs> that I've been hauling around <laughs> since like college. Like and West Elm's nice. Like I, I would shop there now, but I just was like starting over and then COVID hit and I was with my parents already. They were in LA with me. I'd fl- I was doing two weeks in LA waiting for my place to get decorated so I can move in March 15th. And uh, and I was there doing Conan and like Kelly Clarkson. I had all these appearances and I was like, I always like to fly my parents in. They're from Midwest. They love TV. They love entertainment. Like having them go backstage at Conan is like a true dream. So I always fly them in for these things. So they're out there and my mom's supposed to go on Kelly Clarkson with me. My mom's first like TV. My mom loves TV. Is like Aww. should be a TV star. She she was on my show on Comedy Central, but she's going to be on like, a, they're pre-taping a Mother's Day show. And so my mom flew in, was like all excited. And then COVID started started going down that week and everything started shutting down. We got to go to Conan. That was the last thing. My mom was scared. She gave Conan COVID because they hugged. It was like one of the last hugs she ever gave. And, or my dad said that, I think. And she was like perpetually scared. She gave COVID. So we, so I was with them and I was just like, I'm scared. Things are getting weird. I'm just going to go back to my parents' house where I go twice a year anyway, at least. And just like wait till this blows over. I need love, <laughs> but I just look like, I look at my life and I just go, it's pure fucking luck that I ended up with all the things. And it actually is luck that I ended up with ADD that wasn't treated for a while, even though I go, mom, dad, why didn't you see it? Why didn't you t- ask me about my feelings more? Mom, why didn't you touch me more? And I go, I'm so glad you fucking didn't because I'm making so much money just being honest and it's so fucking easy. And you're going to live in a sweet ass nursing home someday because your daughter found some way to take what you didn't give her and spin it into gold, money that I don't deserve. I don't work as hard as, you know, I, I work hard, but my I'm so fucking lucky and, uh, and lucky for all the bad stuff and the good stuff and I have to keep like thinking of things that way but it's like okay, it so sucks easy. that it's so hard to get diagnosed and it's so expensive and all this shit like uh, I'm sure there are people listening that are like great I definitely have that what the fuck it's a thousand dollars to go in, in hours of my life to go get diagnosed there's gotta be something implemented so that people don't have to feel like so that they have to trick the system to get a fucking diagnosis that's like I mean you can go obvious. you can go to a psychiatrist yeah that's true that's true. I guess I don't know. I don't know why I went. Th- I think I just wanted to actually prove it to myself and not because I'm very manipulative and I feel like I feel like I could be and I could probably get someone to give me some, you know, speed like because it's that's the thing. I always feel guilty right. that I'm like doing meth or something. Well, here's here's what I want to say about it, too. Yeah. Like, I do think that you're you're a few years younger than me, but pop culturally old enough to remember the like. Lindsay Lohan, Adderall, like all those girls who are so skinny. Yes. And like, weirdly, I don't, I just have like, I had drilled into my brain from like Dr. Drew Pinsky that uh, Adderall was like a gateway drug and Mm -hmm. just, and it was like, 
just all bad news and mm-hmm. th- this is why it's the it worst thing you can do for your yes. your body and your system and it's terrible and like I will say have people do people abuse ADHD medication they have Obviously. yes I'm sure people people abuse, abuse everything all yes yeah the Weirdly, Except I do contact think lenses. that the Adderall. I, <laughs> people do abuse contact lenses. Oh, they do. Yeah, they I do. abuse them. People leave them in for to too long. Pr- people people uh, try okay. to game the system and leave them in for too long, <laughs> and right, then they. You're right. You're so right. Okay, not never to mind. like Thank that's you. like the, the nerdiest abuse of anything, but it is no, true. No, but that's you're you're so right. That's okay. <laughs> I like it. But I just now am having this realization as we're discussing this that that framing of. ADHD medication is also like just deeply rooted in like the fucking patriarchy and women like girls out of control being out of control and like like think about it and it it even goes it goes further too because it's also shaming parents shaming shaming parents who are mothers saying Mm. you're just trying to give your sons who are a handful medicine you can't handle your sons you can't handle your kids so you're just yeah trying to medicate You're them very intelligent this so, is like that is seriously that's it. and the fact that you can get thin on it you know like it cu- curbs your appetite so it's it's just yeah. a thing women are trying to do so they can get thinner which is another thing that we get shamed for yeah even though everything because, tells us that we have to be thinner when we do people go what do you do why are you that thin because listen, like, here's the you, thing. You can get thinner. That is true. Yes. You also sweat. You're also pale. It's also hard to shit. It's also sometimes hard to have sex on these medicines. So yes. it's like it's there are pluses and minuses. So like just because your pant size goes down by like one or two doesn't mean that it's like a dream drug or something. And you it, know, and, it, and it, that is not guaranteed. And that is not like because I do I, as I hear that as an anorexic. And back in my days, I would have been like, I will do anything to get on this miracle drug that is going to make me lose weight. And it, the thing is, uh, that's why I was reluctant to do it because I, I got recovered recovered from my eating disorder in um, uh, April of 2020 and then got on got diagnosed in August. of And so I was really scared that this is going to get me back on a track of starving myself because that's part of my, you know, my sobriety mm-hmm. is like not starving myself yeah. ever again. And so I was scared, like, oh, that was that it was going to curb my appetite, and then I was going to start doing things with it. And so there, that's another thing that I just feel constant shame about is that, like, oh, as an as a girl that's an an like a weak anorexic girl that couldn't figure out a way to be thin that didn't make people worry, and is she's too sick? And it, like, there's that shame of using it that way. So it's there's so much shame around it. It's yeah, like yeah which is also just in every qu- fucking every bullshit. It's bullshit. <laughs> yeah. With my disordered eating, like my eating disorder, like I am in a group of like the coolest people that all like are bulimics, overeat, bingers, like uh, exercise bulimics, people who exercise addicts. Like I'm in a collective group of all these people who have dis- disease disorder and we're like the coolest people, but there is a way to live where you don't have to, deal with that anymore and it's like I you just have to get desperate enough and like look at your life and be like I don't like this and this is like hurting me it's only leading me to be right like you just have to be done with it like I had to be done with drink I had to hit a bottom with drinking which is just like I felt like I was dying and like shivering in my shower in a ball and I was like okay I'm done like I can't do this anymore you have to have like your bottom might be like fucking shallower than other people's but for me I hit a bottom with my eating disorder and being anorexic I have I really relate 
I feel like an obese person too. And I don't feel like, but I have, uh, I know, I think as much as I could never know that experience, I know it because I was walking around as someone that looked, uh, like I was so thin at my worst when I first got it that I was whispered about constantly made fun of Mm. people were just disgusted by me thought that everything that I was choosing to do that that I was just like it just just walking around alarming people inconveniencing people people worried about you people just like commenting on you whispering all the looks you see it all and I'm this and I, I remember being told that my eating disorder could flip the other way and turn to binging. And I just was like, there's no fucking way. Like as an anorexic, when I was like 18, I was like, you know, we're the best because we don't throw up. We don't like, we're not fat or what, you know, like all those things. But this bitch was so right because I went to binge eating. I went, I could be any, I could be anywhere along the spectrum if my disease wants to take me there. And it has, I was bulimic for a really long time until it started giving me mouth acne that I just couldn't deal with anymore. Like I literally, that was my bottom for throwing up. So I go, okay, no more throwing up, done with that. Then I started um, uh, exercising uh, to get all the binge off. That would be bulimic, bulimic in that way. Then I got injured. Okay, well, that's out. I can't do that anymore. Okay, now I'm going to go back to just, now I'm just going to starve all day and binge at night and starve away. Like, it just, it, it, it would have eventually just led to me, like, being every kind of spectrum of the eating disorder. And so it's just like, I feel like women along any kind of, if you if you relate to any of those things, we're all in the same fucking boat. And we should all be like helping each other out and talking honestly about it and like accepting that none of us are choosing to, none of us want to be, maybe if you don't like your body, you're not wanting to be in that body. Like you don't get up every morning and go, I'm going to put on, like, if you could choose, you would just snap your fingers and maybe have another body. Okay. Like you would. So let yourself off the hook for the fact that you didn't really, you're just trying your fucking best and this is what you got and just fucking do your day with your what you have and maybe someday it'll be what you want it to be but today it's not and fucking just accept it this is like this is all you got like I, I, there's all these platitudes that come along but I finally have body acceptance I don't know if it's and it, of course I can say that as a thin woman and and th- like that's easier for me to say but I hope I've seen fluctuations in my weight over the year of over the year that I feel it finally feel okay about aging and like getting uh, like bigger in different areas, which I never thought I'd be okay with. And I have been okay with it. And there's been moments where I've been depressed because I saw cellulite on my leg or something so stupid. And I, I catch it five minutes later. Cause I'm like, why am I in a bad mood? Oh, because I saw cellulite on my leg. Like I don't, if I, I, I didn't want that. Cell, I didn't put it there. I didn't leave the house to go to target and go, I'm going to put that cellulite there. Like, it's not like making anyone puke anywhere. Like, like who cares? Just like be in a good mood again. When you first walked into this target before you saw your dumb cellulite, like I'm finally there. And I don't know. I just, I was in a mad dash to get to a place where I liked myself before I really started aging. And now I'm fucking ready. Like bring on Francis McDormand. <laughs> Francis McDormand does not look in the mirror in the morning and go, oh, I'm so old. Like maybe she does sometimes when she's like a little drunk and just be trying to be funny. <laughs> but I don't think that woman walks around. We all fucking love her. We don't question how gorgeous she is. She wears no makeup. She's just herself. And like, I just was like, I kind of am just like talk to, be Francis McDormand. Like just like actually like yourself, like accept yourself. You don't even have to like it. Sometimes I look like a legit dude. Like I look like a, (laughs) 
I always say I look like a yoga instructor named Jesper. Like I look like a feminine dude and I don't, I don't, it's not, it's okay if I look like a dude. I don't want to though. You know, like that's not, I'm trying to find a husband that's like a, a hetero guy, a straight guy. So like, that's not my intention. But sometimes I go, you look like a fucking dude. And I just laugh and I'm like, well, you're a dude right now. But tomorrow you'll be cute again. Like who cares? You're not gonna be a dude forever. You just like this combo of this outfit and you're, you slept on your face weird last night. You ate too much salt last night. You drank, you didn't drink enough water. You look, just everything's conspiring to make you look like a dude and it's funny and just go on your day and maybe tomorrow you won't. I mean, listen, I think, I think that at all, like the end of it, we all need to like move to a place of acceptance of, of who we fucking are. Right. And like it, it hits people at different times in their lives. And sometimes it's like you, you aren't capable. Sometimes people aren't capable of doing it when they're younger, you know? And like, I'm, I'm happy for you that like you, that this last year caused you to slow down and move in with your parents and then like really address a thing that was like killing you. Yeah. You know, and driving people away because the fact that you can look at it as what it really was is, is pretty fucking impressive, Nikki. And like, I just never, and it's not, and also I'm going to, I'm going to tell you something that Bertie Silverstein has said to me. Recovery is not a straight line. So also forgive yourself when it goes to yes. the left or it goes to the right. Yes. When I overeat and I feel sick a little bit, like, or I'm like, I stuff myself. Like I have a, there's a compulsion in me as like, you know, my, my, my rules for not rules, but my like agreement with myself to treat myself the best is never to starve. Don't eat in bed and uh, don't skip meals. You don't get to skip meals. You can have like as many meals as you want, like, and, and, and try not to make yourself sick with food. You know, you can like, but sometimes I do. The other night, like I was just feeling things. I saw like some, my friends sent me a screen recording of uh, a guy's Instagram that had blocked me. So I didn't, you know, like she's doing some, she's, she's, <laughs> she's giving me things that I'm not even supposed to see. And by the way, I'm not someone who's like a toxic person that people block often. Like it's, it's a, a, a weird, there's, I have an excuse for being blocked that isn't like it happens. I'm harassing. It happens. Listen, it happens. So I, that was upsetting. And I just like overate and I felt like sick going to bed. And that's when I tend to go kind of crazy is going to bed is like feeling like, ooh. And it reminded me of like how I used to be. But then I just was like, well, you were just feeling things. And that was like the only kind of soothing mechanism you had. And you feel a little sick. Okay. You're not like, you don't, it's okay. Like you said, it's not a straight line. I'm not always going to be perfect. Some days are like really good with like, I didn't even think about it. I love myself today and other days are not, but I have ways of thinking now and uh, ways of handling those feelings. And sometimes it involves um, playing a Taylor Swift song on my guitar and like processing a feeling and being like, just pause before you reach for the seaweed snacks or whatever kind of like, you know, I still eat anorexic foods. Like that's my problem. I like still, I developed all these, if you're an anorexic out there, you, I, you know about air foods, right? Like popcorn, yeah, foods right, that just right. uh, just have uh, whipped free cream, sugar-free whipped cream, yeah, yeah. voluminous foods that uh, have no real substance. Seaweed snacks is yeah. one of them. I fuck, you know what? I fucking love a seaweed snack, and I can't stop. I well, still love it, love even it. though. I'm, and I have shame about it, I like because it's like a thing that I used to use to starve. Yeah. But um, yeah, if I go, you have to overboard, reframe it. Yeah, you got to reframe it. It's it is exciting though to like reapproach food and go back. To, I went to the comedy cellar one time uh, during the pandemic, and I used to go there every single night 
you know, leading up to COVID and I would get the same thing. That's when I, my binge would start. Like I would starve all day and then I would just go there and order a fucking smorgasbord of baba ganoush, hummus and uh, salads. Like I was, I love healthy food. It's thank God I, I like healthy food, but as an anorexic in the years past, I developed like an affinity for it, but now I just really love it. And I would stuff my face with it and I would be like, this is what I like. And people would just like, Always comment and go like, whoa, look at the, Nikki and her salads. And I would go, yeah, hey, I have an eating disorder. Like I was pretty open about it. And then I would go home and, and binge protein bars in bed like in, throughout the night, like eating on the toilet, like, like waking up to go yeah. to the bathroom, eating a protein bar, like that kind of eating and wake up with like seven to 11 wrappers every morning in my bed. Like that was my Jesus. life. But I went back to the comedy cellar after I was not binging anymore and not eating in bed and not starving. And I looked at the menu, the place I've been going for 10 years since I've had an eating disorder, literally order the same thing every single time. The waitresses all know, just Nikki salads, no oil on the hummus or baba ganoush. And I looked at the menu and I like did not want that. Like I was like, oh, I was just giving myself that because that was all I would allow myself to have. I was getting the most healthy mm, thing. I didn't right. actually think about what my body would like cr craved. And right. I've learned that from not starving myself anymore. Like it's back to like, what would make you feel like like satisfy you now? And that's a whole different, I, I, I would never have guessed that I would ever want to eat something else there. I thought that's what I truly wanted and it wasn't. But seaweed sacks are truly what I want. <laughs> well, then that's- I love them, even though they're still waste. Then you're listening to your body and you're, you know, you're, I mean, listen, people have come on here and talked about a lot of important pivots that they've taken in their lives and careers, but your pivot, like it might've saved your life. So yeah. I'm very grateful. Thank I'm, you. I'm very grateful that that's, because I'm glad you're here. Casey, that's so nice of you to say because um, like I, I think that I had convinced myself it wouldn't ruin my life because it was manageable. Like I was killing it. Mm. Like no one would have guessed, right, that yeah. I had this problem. Um, but it would have led me to never let love into my life, real intimacy, these things that like if you don't have those, you do die early. It would have killed me in some way. It was just robbing me of like a life worth living. Honestly, I hated everything totally. I was doing. It was demanding too much of me. And that was mm. my favorite thing in the world was suffering. And so I resented this new thing. So yeah, you're right. It, it did save my life. And it's, uh, yeah. And I'm, I'm grateful that I had to look at it, but it, it's, it was, it, I sobbed when I stopped eating in bed. Like honestly, to think of my, the rest of my life and I'll never mm. eat in bed. If I have kids and they make me mama breakfast in bed, I'm not going to like, no, I can't. It's like all these things. I'm like, right. I'm going to, I'm going to rob myself of that. It's like, you don't even want kids. What are you presenting this scenario? That, <laughs> you know, your niece and Also, nephew can I be, can I be honest, Nikki? I have been a mom now for <laughs> 13 fucking years. But it, cereal commercials. I never won. Never <laughs> once. No. I don't think. No. My ch I have brought to. my children like food in their bedrooms, <laughs> but only because they're like late for school or whatever. And I'm just like, so here's funny. your cereal. Get the oh, by the way, up. if God. you if you should ever accidentally find yourself with a kid and they should make you breakfast in bed, it's not going to be good. You're not going to want no. to eat it. So no, you're not. No. Don't even. It's not, I. Yeah, don't let's not worry about that. Bring mom her don't worry about it. She'll eat him at her desk. <laughs> yeah. I mean <laughs> I also don't even I also worry love about it. I 
I, we're going to let you go because it's been, oh, this has been so great. Thanks for letting me um, just ramble. You guys are really sweet. I've been monologizing. No. But the ADE meds, busy, you know the feeling. Well, I Casey, are you, like where they kick in and you're like, I have, I can't stop talking. And uh, I'm on so, so many kinds of meds and I might take okay. mushrooms on this road trip. So yes, this is where, do it. This is where we're headed. I'll Hell let you know yes. how it goes. Oh my gosh. And I just want to say before we wrap up, um, it's so freaking nice to meet you guys and to spend this time. Casey, I don't know how I know you, but you're like, I see your name and I go, that's someone on Twitter that is so fucking funny. I just know you as a genius comedy writer person. Like I've just seen your work. I don't know how, but it's just in my head. As soon as I saw your name, I was like, oh, I can't wait to meet that person. And you've Aww. just just been, it's been so nice to meet you and talk to you so as nice you're to parked you in too. a- Taco Bell in Wyoming in the parking lot. And busy, so I I gotta just tell you, I just am so in awe of your talent uh, um, as an actress and uh, just personality. But when I first saw you on um, Freaks and Geeks, it, you just blew me away. You are, I can't believe someone that young could be that good and that uh, just, just a, uh, it's, you aren't even that person to me. Like it, that's because it was such a character. It was just, I yeah. just really admire well. <laughs> your, um, your talent. And it's, I, I would love to, I, I want to talk to you about someday about, um, what, what that's like to be so talented at acting and to be so talented. <laughs> uh, oh my God. Yeah, we can have, drink. we can have some <laughs> soda and we'll, we'll break it. We'll down. talk about our, our like uh, experience with E. Um, okay. Nikki, you're a fucking delight. You are too. Um, Thank you so much, you guys. Thanks. I had a great time. Oh my gosh, time to talk about our favorite Thrive Cosmetics. Obsessed with Thrive Cosmetics. You know it. You know it. We love Thrive Cosmetics so much. The mascara, the liquid lash extensions mascara, it is the only mascara I can use, the only mascara type I can use because my under eyes are oily and every other mascara transfers down there. This is not like that. It's a tubing mascara. It doesn't make a mess. Guys, listen to me. If you, if you hear one thing from me, be it this. Go buy the Liquid Lash Extensions Mascara. I swear to God, you are going to love it. I have never had so many compliments on my mascara since I started wearing this Liquid Lash Extensions Mascara from Thrive Cosmetics. I'm not kidding. I wear it. I ended up having them get it for me on um, Girls 5 Eva. Like, I... I only want to wear this mascara. This mascara just works so well. I use the brown and the black color, mostly the brown. It's incredible. It lasts all day. It comes off easily with just warm water. You don't even need soap. I don't understand why it's so good, but I love it. And I want you to try it because I want you to love it because I love it. Casey loves it. There's no parabens, sulfates, or phthalates. Um, it's certified 100% vegan and cruelty-free. They, they make it with clean, skin-loving ingredients. Um, and they are called Thrive Cosmetics, C-A-U-S-E, because cause is a part of their mission. Um, part of their mission is that every purchase supports organizations that help communities thrive, such as people who are battling domestic abuse or um, 
homelessness, cancer, and more. We looked at all of the organizations that they support. It's all good stuff, guys. We promise. Right now, you can get an exclusive 20% off your first order when you visit thrivecosmetics.com slash best. That's Thrive Cosmetics, C-A-U-S-E-M-E-T-I-C-S dot com slash best for 20% off your first order. We love you, Thrive Cosmetics. Ugh, you know what I'm calling this? The summer of swamp ass. Booty B.O. is real. And I mean, not, not to shame anyone. Like every, here's the thing. We all have butts and all of our butts smell sometimes. Like if you don't pay extra attention when it's very swampy outside, sometimes your butt is going to smell. And if you want to just live with it, that's okay. No shade. But for me, for me... And for you, I think we're not into booty BO. And that's why we're so excited to tell you about Lumi, the world's best whole body deodorant. Lumi, in case you don't know, Lumi deodorant is is a game changer. It's here to keep everyone smelling great (laughs) when we need it most and where we need it most. Underarms aren't the only place that people have odor and need freshening. When I say you could use this everywhere, you can use it everywhere. If if it's like a little smelly and cheesy behind your ears, you can use it back there. You can use it in any kind of folds or under the boobs or just anywhere where your butt kind of hangs down at the back of your thighs. Pits, under boobs, thigh folds, belly buttons, butt cracks, vulvas, feet. By the way, That's actually a great point. I need to put some on one of my kids' feet. I need to put some of this Lumi whole body deodorant on uh, one of my child's feet. I'm not going to name names. (laughs) They have best-selling scents like lavender sage, which is my favorite, clean tangerine, also I love, and fresh alpine. You're going to smell better than ever. They also just launched new scents that include mint cucumber and soft powder, which... I think I'm going to have to try. As an OBGYN, Lumi's founder, Dr. Shannon Klingman, met thousands of women concerned with odor below the belt. Through clinical testing, she discovered it wasn't the vagina that was to blame. It's never the vagina. It's never. It was bacteria on our skin. So she created Lumi, a pH-optimized aluminum-free deodorant that actually works and works everywhere with over 150,000 five-star reviews to prove it. I'm one of those 150,000 five-star reviews because I love everything that Lumi makes. I personally am obsessed with the body wash. I've had a hard time finding a body wash that I like that like doesn't make my skin itch because, you know, I'm very sensitive. So I actually ordered the starter pack and I got um, a little trial of the of the body wash and it has been a game changer and I love it so much. Lumi starter pack is perfect for new customers. It comes with a solid stick deodorant, cream tube deodorant, two free products of your choice like mini body wash and deodorant wipes and free shipping. And as a special offer for our listeners, new customers are going to get $5 off a Lumi starter pack with code BEST at lumideodorant.com. That equates to over 40% off your starter pack when you visit lumideodorant.com. 
and use code BEST. It's Lumi, L-U-M-E, deodorant.com and use code BEST. Um, we had the just com- delight to speak with Casey's friend, and now mine, I think, I hope, Shay Coulee. You may know Shay from Drag Race and Drag Race All-Stars. If you haven't caught up, you're still watching. I'm not going to tell you who wins, but it might be the person that we talk to in this interview. Um, Shay's got a lot going on and is just a true delight and uh, also knows how to spin on a pole. And spin a yarn. <laughs> I'm just making this up, guys. I don't know what the fuck is happening. Anyway, enjoy this. Enjoy this uh, interview with Shea Coulee. First of all, can I just say I love that? Like everyone is yes. like doing this like handheld mic moment. I feel like you know we're really serving like this mm-hmm. kind of like girl group fantasy because I was feeling yes. a little certain type of way. I was like, okay, am I going to be looking stupid because I don't have a mic stand because I'm not looking, you know, no. like I have a whole sound studio going on. But I love yes. that we're all here with our little handheld. I am someone who still to this day really goes hard for girl groups. I've always loved girl groups. You know, it's just all like you name a girl group. I love them. Destiny's child. Like Donity Kane, you know, like they, Donity Kane. You were like, girl, that they are still in heavy rotation on my gym playlist. <laughs> no, Strip tease. That is my jam. Um, I'm going to have to say Dawn is my fave. Um, just because like Dawn, she was kind of like always like the slightly awkward one, but as like time has continued, Dawn is a solo artist. Her music is really, really cool. So I appreciate, you know, I appreciate the hustle and someone who's just uh, like, I'm here to still stay and do what I want to do, you know, and then maybe happy. So yeah, I'm like them little mix. I'm a mixer. I stand them. So you're a mixer. Hell the fuck yeah, I am. <laughs> <laughs> Love it. I'm like, here I am in my 30s being like. I was going to say, you're born in 1989. So yes. I'm an, I'm like an, an escape slash salt and pepper lover. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> Weak. Oh, my God. All the time. Like I always, week comes on, I stop what I'm doing. I'm like, y'all, we literally have to all clasp hands and swing back and forth. I'm also, I'm also just like very basic and I just loved the Spice Girls. Like I still, I like loved Spice Up Your Life. Like I was, cause I was born 10 years, exactly 10 years before you, Shay. And so Spice Girls hit like me at a at a point where I was like I was ready for this. You were girls. ready for all the girl power. That was actually the first cassette tape that me and my sister bought together. Because what were they even the uh, the Aww. full album was maybe four ninety nine, like five dollars for a cassette tape, and we still split it. <laughs> yeah, sure. And oh my god, we would put it in her boombox yeah. in her room because she had one, I didn't, and we would just jam to the Spice Girls. I have so many questions. Well, first, first of all, all can so many we should introduce what? Shay to in case people aren't. RuPaul's Drag Race watchers. You also should see my face right now because I'm like... <laughs> Just in case. If anyone doesn't know who Shea Coulee is, they can walk the fuck out. <laughs> the 
this <laughs> podcast right now. Just in case. Well, you know what? If anyone doesn't know who Shea Coulee is, I actually envy you because you have like a wonderful new thing to discover. You can go back and get the whole history of Shea Coulee on RuPaul's Drag Race. And actually, well, spoiler alert is the winner of season five, RuPaul's Drag Race All-Stars. That just happened. That just happened. Pew, 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 pew. I lost my damn mind, Shea (laughs) I was so happy. Well, but this was because, guys, if you're not Drag Race watchers, season nine of Drag Race, you were like, let's just be honest, the fucking star. And then... (laughs) The upset of the century of Drag Race is that you did not win. And everyone was up at arms. And so this is like, I mean, because we talk about like setbacks and pivots and stuff on this show in particular. Mm -hmm. Can we talk about that? Like what that felt like? Because you had to have thought, like everybody watching Mm -hmm. season nine knew you were winning, clearly. Yeah. And then, and then, no, they said surprise, surprise. And I, it was honestly like now in hindsight, like four years later, it was the best lesson that I could have ever received because I've always, like, my parents always had us be of the mindset of like, you know, you just concentrate, you work really hard for things and you'll get them, you know? And I knew at that point, I was like, I worked really hard. I had dedicated so much of myself to this and I had excelled in the competition. So I was like, this is my time to like claim my prize and like my moment. And then when that did not happen, I was like, okay, well, I need to look at this as being a bigger lesson. What is it that I need to take from this? And Really, all it did was, A, give me, like, a 100% ego death. Just shattered my ego to a million pieces. Which, you know, and it's, like, as, like, entertainers, like, you know, we we have very big egos. Like, you know, we have, especially as drag queens, you know, they're inflated. And so I really had to go to, like, such a humbling place and, like, really concentrate and focus on why it is that I got into drag, why it is that I love to drag, you know, because all of a sudden it was this business and it's all these people have these opinions and, you know, it it kind of affects the way that other people treat you. And so you kind of had to like, I had to like really kind of step back and ground myself, but it taught me to believe in myself even that much more. Like having like people witness me fail in such a dramatic and poetic way allowed me to really like actually gain even more confidence and be like, okay, that was actually my worst nightmare and I'm still living. (laughs) Yes. Yes. You know? But I like what you just said about like you had to, okay, so your ego is, I've had, I've had that moment as a performer where you're like shattered Mm -hmm. and you have to return to the, to the why. Mm -hmm. Like, why do yeah. I do this? And mm-hmm. what do I love about this? Mm-hmm. And so when that happened and you're like, this is the worst, mm-hmm. what was the why for you when you thought about like the origin of performance and what it meant to you? Um, The why for me was because performance entertainment, drag have always been 
the language that I use to communicate and express myself most authentically and most powerfully. Like I performing drag art, that's how I that's how I communicate with people. And that why was that I drag my 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 art is like my voice and without it I feel like I I I'm not even talking to people. I feel like I'm not existing, you know? Like I need Ugh. to create something in order to feel like I'm really communicating who I truly am on the inside, you know? Right. Yeah. That's what I was going to ask like when you when you say that's like how I talk to people is it like those are the moments when you feel like you are able to be the realist like, yes. really like the most raw version of the yourself most or? authentic me I could possibly mm-hmm. be and and it's insane that it takes a whole bunch of crazy wigs and hair in production <laughs> but that's all that's that's still all me that's still all the imagination that's but all that's part of it. it is because I feel like you know we have all these societal constructs of gender and all this bullshit that we have to deal with and drag for me is transcending all that bullshit and it's it's coming across on the other side and showing people, you know, that us as these sentient beings are so much more than just the clothes that are on our backs or the makeup that's on our face, you know? Like we can For sure. We can tell so many beautiful stories and I just love going out there and using drag to just tell stories all the time, you know? Uh, and we love I love watching them. Man, <laughs> you really do. Embrace it because you know, growing up it was my femininity was something that people used against me as something that was like bad, but it was hard for me to accept those types of critiques when I had examples like my mom and my aunts and my sisters who are all these really strong, badass women and me being like, Diana Ross, you know, know. so it's just, yeah. Um, I'm like, I'm having a hard time, like really processing that you guys are telling me that these qualities are bad. It sucks when growing up, people are telling you like your feminine qualities are unacceptable and or bad when all the examples that I have in my life of femininity are all just like really impeccable, strong, beautiful, smart women. Yeah. Yes. And then drag allowed me to be like, I'm, I'm going to like kind of like put this on and I'm really going to embrace this femininity and step out in it and actually feel empowered by it. And then like when I did that, I was all like, yeah, fuck the patriarchy. This is some bullshit. <laughs> like, <laughs> You know, what's so interesting, Shay. I'm strongly identifying with what you're saying. I feel like a lot of times in my life, people have taken things that like I identify as really like feminine traits and been like, well, that's not important. Or why are you doing that? That's frivolous or it's silly or it's not you or, you know, just you just feel like you can't do anything correctly. That's why I love like AFAB queens, like cis women doing drag, because I was like, it's that same thing where where people try and tell you that, like, you know, overt femininity is frivolous and it's silly because so many times people consider it to be something that's done strictly for the male gaze. And you're like, no, I literally just put on this top because I 
bought this top. I shopped this top. I like this top. Not because I was trying to get who the fuck ever Frank over there to pay attention. Like who gives right. a fuck about, Fra- I didn't even notice Frank, you know? Right. And so I like, no one knows who Frank hello, is. You know what I mean? You know, like only you, you're the one Frank. Um, <laughs> but it's like, that's why I love like AFAB Queens because they're all like, yes, I can use my femininity and put on this armor to show people like, um, yeah, um, femininity is really bomb and it's powerful too. Like, masculinity and like aggression those aren't the only ways to exhibit strength like guys come on like this shit is like it's so basic sometimes it's like, <laughs> I, I like i feel like i talk in circles because like the amount of misogyny that's just kind of ingrained and in just like all the, the the fabric of society and i just feel like For- i just love how drag allows us to just like celebrate and and amplify femininity and showcase all the beautiful, beautiful components that exist within it. You know, you're such a scholar of all of this stuff. It's one of the reasons I love, love, love talking to you because like, it's more like you're putting on a hell of a show all of the time. It's super entertaining. But mm-hmm. then if anyone gets the chance to sit down and talk to you about like the brass tacks of all of this stuff, and you're so generous with all, you know, and just really smart stuff that I think a lot of people don't maybe think about or or aren't thinking about yet or like just on the cusp of thinking about mm-hmm. like ideas that maybe aren't super familiar to just everyone. Yeah. Um, so I wanted to ask if we can talk about pronouns mm-hmm. because the way that you use your pronouns is a little interesting. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I identify as non-binary. So I oftentimes default to they, them pronouns, gender neutral pronouns. Um, in drag, I prefer she, her. Um, out of drag, um, you can use they, them. yeah they them and honestly you could use she her too because uh, right. I don't know what it is about masculine like probably, pronouns I'm like Ugh. um <laughs> I mean it's dual I mean I would assume that a lot of do a lot of your friends use she her yeah because like I I would assume it's that, like that's the culture too especially like with yeah, other right. drag queens we're always she her with each other you yeah. know um. Yeah, sometimes when even someone is not in drag and someone uses like he, him pronouns, you can kind of feel the girls like. <laughs> yeah, like I was like, like huh? a man. <laughs> Where? Where? Is he? Where? <laughs> I want to see him. But the, and, and, and that's the thing, because I a drag really helped me to kind of, of understand my gender non-binary identity because you know, I'm doing this act, I'm doing these shows five nights a week and I'm like putting on the wig and the hair and the makeup, you know, feeling my feminine fantasy, you know, taking it off after the show. But the person on the inside didn't change, you know, what was on the outside changed. But I was just all like, I... I was like, I feel like I am equal parts feminine and masculine at the same time. That yin and yang kind mm-hmm. of balance. And I'm like, I don't feel like I belong in any binary category. And so that mm-hmm. helped me to really understand and like actually start research because I didn't even have the language for it then. Yeah. Um to research and and start to find other people that identified as gender non-binary. And I was like, Oh, 
I understand that. I can, I, I was like, I can, I feel that. I think there is this natural, I feel like for moms, you want to protect your child because a lot of times it's not even so like you that you're worried about. It's the other people because that is kind yeah. of what I saw from like my mom, like in my coming out process. And like, it was funny because my dad was the one that was for my mom, like, Hey, Marilyn, it is what it is. Jaren is Jaren, you know? Regardless, at the end of the day, that's still that's still our baby. You know, I'm the youngest. I'm the baby. And I'm I'm just glad that um, they now get to exist in a world in which these conversations are happening, where there's becoming more and more representation so they can see themselves reflected in other people and stories that exist in television and media. I was like, because we were talking about Cycles America's Next Top Model. Mm -hmm. I was saying that for me, my first representation that I saw of like a black non-binary person was Miss J. And yeah, right. And how they so seamlessly introduced feminine pronouns. And it was just kind of like, okay, well, that's Miss J. And I never thought about how it's not that hard to grasp when you just kind of present it in a way and allow people to be like, oh, this is the norm. That's Miss J. This is what we call her. And for me, like that little, that little thing helped me understand kind of pronouns in a much different way. And that was when I was in my little, Anybody town in Plainfield, Illinois, back in the early 2000s. You know what? That is truly a really fucking amazing point and something that I haven't thought about until this moment. But Casey and I talk a lot about the importance of like just the sort of subversiveness of storytelling in pop culture and media. Like the importance of drag race is cannot be underscored right but that is something just even miss j is the thing that like i never really even clicked into that but you're exactly right like the not making it a big point Mm -hmm. plot point right just like this is what this is okay we're moved like and now we and Miss J is going to mentor you on your walk. No, okay, no explanation needed. Just show it. No explanation needed. Yeah, exactly. And so I love that. I mean, I love that we have you in our zeitgeist now to storytelling. Um, and I'm very excited that you finally have that fucking crown. <laughs> Wait, where do you live normally? Are you in Chicago yeah, still? I'm in Chicago still, live in um, the lesbian neighborhood because um, oh, I really like being around the lesbians more than the, the gays. Um, that the, Those are just my people. <laughs> okay. Right. I mean, honestly, anytime you put me in a space, I will always gravitate towards the women. Um, that's mm-hmm. always been me. I'm like, hey. <laughs> but that's that part of you. Yeah. Right? That like, part of me. I'm like, like, that's actually where I, I just feel safer. So that you know that's, that that is what it is. I just naturally feel me too safer around women. So <laughs> same girl. <laughs> where like it's all about <laughs> antiquing and brunch, you know. <laughs> I'm super excited about the acting pivot. Theater is where it all started, you know, because it was just like I was a kid with a lot of energy and personality. And my parents were like, if you don't get the fuck out this house, you know, so they were like, let's do some (laughs) let's do some plays, you know, and that was kind of that was like where my my lover like, oh, my goodness, telling stories like taking on characters because I'm like an 
I'm an empath and I'm like, oh, wow, you can actually really affect people and, and, and really grasp their attention by like telling these stories. Like I can, that, that was like the first time that I started to feel powerful. Like I could command someone's attention, you know, in a, in a play or a Mm -hmm. musical. And I was just like, wow, that's really cool. I want to do that more. Like, did you ever have Broadway dreams or what was your, when you were a kid? Yeah, I did. I was just like, too faggoty so there just like wasn't really anything ever <laughs> I, I i just wouldn't get cast in anything and then like there would be you were like unless like outside of like what like angel and rent right yeah like that's, I, I even remember we did i mean um, i'm not even kidding like that's exactly that's like it we did um oh my gosh uh um george c wolf's the wild party the musical and there's two Black uh-huh. gay twin brothers who are incestuous. And when I tell you, every faggot was clawing each other's eyes out for those two roles. <laughs> <laughs> we're like, we're going to play brothers and we're going to fuck each other. Um, <laughs> and, but, you know, obviously there's only two roles to go around. So I didn't get that one either. I was like, surely I was gay enough for that. But no. <laughs> no. Yeah, but I did I did work That's in the costume really, shop on that one. It was fun. Right. Because you also do you did cost weren't you like a that uh-huh. was your major, right? I, yeah. In college? I did a BA so that I could do costuming and performance. So sometimes I would design shows, you know, and do like the tech side. And then sometimes, yeah. you know, I would be one of the talent. And that and that was cool because it gave me um I was able to understand both sides of it. It's interesting because, you know, no matter what you're sort of like, you know, as a, as a queer person Mm -hmm. um, or as like a blonde cis white person, like when you're, when you limit yourself to just one lane Mm -hmm. of entertainment, you're, you're really, you really are just limiting yourself Mm -hmm. because people put us in like whatever boxes they want us to be right. in. Yes. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So like you have to be able to be like, oh, I see your box mm-hmm. and then I'm going to come over here and I'm going to do this other thing for a minute mm-hmm. and like you can catch up yes. to what I'm putting out yes. into the world. Right? Yeah. And that's like, that's actually very similar yeah. to like the way that you phrase that is so similar to me of the way that I feel like RuPaul tells us to deal with our inner saboteurs where you listen to it. You're like, yes, I hear you. But mm-hmm. I'm going to go over here mm-hmm. and I'm going to do this thing. Mm-hmm. And it is very mm-hmm. that when people try and limit you and put you in your box, you're like, I see you. I, I hear what you're saying. Yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. I get, I get that. You know, I'm not blind. But I see something else for myself. You may not see it yet. I'm just going to go over here and do it. And then hopefully eventually you're going to turn around and be like, oh, OK, now I see it. Now I see it. And Shay, I want to say that I love an epiphany and you were saying that in your pivot when you didn't win that season of Drag Race that everybody expected you to win, that you tried to get a lesson from it. And I think that I also learned an important lesson from that and I remember it and I remember thinking that the lesson for me is that sometimes even when you're the best, you don't win. And that it doesn't mean that you're not the best. It doesn't mean that you're not the best that you can be. And it doesn't mean that you're not the best out of everybody. But sometimes Uh even when you're at the top of your game and sometimes Mm -hmm. when you're better than anybody else, sometimes on that day, you just don't win. It's not your day. 
Yeah. Yeah. I'm like, you know, I even think about how many times Beyonce has lost things where she was yes. literally, you're all like, who else is there? You know? And I, and you know, you just have to remember that you're like, yeah, sometimes it's just not, it's not meant for you. And, and that is okay. And, 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 and this is one thing that, and she's not even, she didn't even come up in entertainment, but Kim Chi, such a level-headed person. I love my, and for a Leo too, so level-headed. I love her. <laughs> um, <clears throat> When we were first, like little baby queens, you know, and girls are really competitive for gigs. Kim was always the girl that was just like, you can never be mad at a gig that somebody else got because it wasn't for you, you know? And Mm. she just really did put Mm -hmm. it simply like that. And I always just remember because I'm like, there will always be gigs. There will always be opportunities. And yes, there will be things that you want. And you're looking at somebody else like, oh, gosh, why didn't I get that? And you're like, the reason why you didn't is because it wasn't for you, baby. Because, like, you got to keep on working so that you can be, like, ready and poised to receive what is really meant for you. And when it does yes. happen, you'll be like, huh, that's why I did the work. And that's why I, like, waited and kept manifesting this because, like, now it's here and I'm ready and I can appreciate it. That other thing was not meant for me. Yeah. I'm never having that career. Yeah. That's not my career. Mm-hmm. I have my own. Yeah. And your career is going to be one that I'm very excited to continue to watch build and build and build. I'm excited too. (laughs) You're going places, baby. I mean, beyond. Well, thank you so much for having me. This was such a blast. And thank you for talking with us. And we're going to talk to you soon. Yeah, my absolute pleasure. Thank you both so much. To start the show, I felt like, because I'm so obviously clearly nervous about this, I felt like I should go with someone that I've already interviewed 473 times. And so we asked my very good friend, IRL, Ike Barinholtz, to chat with us about pivots in his life. Mark and I were just talking, actually, he's like, how many times have you interviewed Ike? I was like, I think. Every time. Between you and Seth. It's like, it's two close friends of mine who I've just said, they've asked me so many questions. They I know. know. It's so I, You're our Tony Randall. Oh my, my, that is my dream. That is my dream. That is. You just Aww. come running in. You're always there for us. Always there. Uh, Gary Busey's sick. Tony Randall's on the way. He's in traffic, but he's on the way. <laughs> um, so Isaac Barinholtz, as a close personal friend, if I do say so myself. Yes. I feel like I've seen some pivots in your life more than one. A couple. Yeah, couple. I had to. Um, well, do you want to, what, what, what sticks out to you in, in thinking about that? I, wanna, I thought about it and to me, it, was, it actually kind of was pretty clear. Um, so as, as we discussed before, I was on Mad TV. You've gotten on multiple flights by proving that. <laughs> but I had moved to LA and I had met Busy and Mark and for a year and a half or so I was I was really struggling and a busboy and trying to just get hired and eventually I got hired to Mad TV and it was so exciting and I was like young and got to you know do sketches and stuff it was really 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 great and when you do those shows you had a five year contract and uh, I had come to the end of it and. At the end of the fourth year, I met this woman who is now my wife. I was there. 
Because he was literally there. I was literally there. In, and in Las Vegas. In Las Vegas, guys. Uh, yeah, we're trying to think of a better story I, it's to the, tell our kids. You're out of your mind. It's the We're best. trying to be like, we met at the UN. We were both at the UN, and your mom was in. No. Like, no, Hard Rock Casino. Hard Rock, Hard Casino, Rock Casino, eating those, like, delicious nachos. Oh, the best. The best chicken nachos. They were me. so good. Legit, legit. Um, anyway, so I met her, and she was living in New York, and I was on a TV show, and I convinced her. I was like, you got to move out to L.A. I got to go do my show. And she was like, great, let's move to L.A. I, she actually said, I'll do it. And I was like, wonderful. And so my contract was up on Man TV, and I was, <laughs> I remember, like, you know, I was like, well, I was talking to my manager, and I was like, obviously, I'm going to, uh, you know, Let's see what the offer is, what, you know, whatever it is, this is the number I want to come back at. And their offer was nothing. <laughs> they literally were like, no, there's no offer. <laughs> You're not they coming were like, back, sir. Not coming back, basically. They were like, thank you for your service. You, you know, we're, I think the show at the time was really running low on money and they, whatever. So and I, Michael McDonald got all of it. They gave it all to Mike. It was a very, not, not a fair structured con. If you see his house, you understand that. Um, but I, I remember at the time too, it's really funny. Cause I was like, um, my wife, it was for my birthday. Her and my parents had teamed up to get me a trip to the food and wine convention oh in Aspen. Right. So we were in Aspen, my wife and I staying at like the fucking like four seasons and shit. And it was really, um, beautiful. And that night, we had signed up to go to a dinner that John George himself was cooking. It was like, it was insane. It was insane. And very, I, I loves food. I love loves food. food. I love, I love this food. is his thing. So I got the phone call from my manager, like before dinner, he's like, yeah, so it's, it's not happening. And just right away, you're just like, I have no money. Like I went from making pretty good living to $0. So I was really like freaked out and kind of pissed off and, I was like, okay, this is cool. This is great. I can just get a job on a TV show. Very easy to get a job on a TV show. It's regular. It's very simple. I've seen lots of people do it. I have friends that are doing it. Busy's doing it. Nicole's Busy. doing it. Everyone's doing it. I can do this. Great. Couldn't do it. Couldn't get shit. Wouldn't, they would not hire me. And then I realized that, like, I don't know. On Mad TV, we made fun of a lot of other TV shows. And then I would try to audition to be on other shows created by the people who created those shows. So maybe that was part of it. Also, maybe this wasn't good. I had been testing, you know how you test for shows. Just, I, I tested for wait, so wait, many- wait, hold on. Guys, audience at home, if you're not familiar in the ways of Hollywood, in order Hollywood to- break. Hollywood break. In explanation break. In order, because I didn't know this when I obviously started in this business. In order to get on a television show as a main character, they make you do something called test. It's like a screen test sort of. And you, so you go in and there's usually like one or two other people up for the same part and you do the scenes. It used to be really bizarre. They would make you go in person in front of the executives of the networks and studios. So you'd be sitting in a room like looking at, um, you know, who's the guy who got canceled from CBS? I don't even remember these motherfuckers. Yes, move move it. It. Yeah, so like yeah. literally like like it would be like all these like suits and like 95% men and 100% white and uh and in a boardroom and you're in a boardroom acting in a boardroom. Yeah, room. and then you have to like do your weird comedy scene with a casting director normally. Occasionally if the actor was like cast 
for like the lead, you would get to read with the actor. But that was very rare. It really is like very stressful because like it's horrible. It's horrible. You're up there with all these other actors and everyone's like nervous and like like yeah, nervously pacing and like you have know, some actors who are trying to like they have headphones and they're not listening. You know what I mean? It's just a very shitty, stressful situation. I tested for oh god, twenty five shows. I didn't get one. I didn't get anything. Didn't get anything one. like anything that made someone like a huge star or anything that like was on the air. You know, like did you lose your Noah Wiley on ER role or you know what I mean? No, I mean it was. I wouldn't say no. Not on the t- not on the test level. There were a couple shows that maybe. Went on for a year or two, but I auditioned for other shows. Like I auditioned for um, uh, 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 Chris Pratt on Parks and Rec. Oh, you guys, would have been great. Yeah, he was really good though. <laughs> I think he figured it out. He's figured out. I know he's kind of disappeared, but I wish him well. Um, but I think what? I was, he's disappeared. I just haven't seen that guy since since Parks and Rec. Don't know what he's up to. Um, oh, that's a, that's a joke. It's a joke. <laughs> it's a joke. Anyways, uh, I was kind of at this point where I was like, I don't know if I'm going to get hired as an actor anymore. Um, and I had originally moved to L.A. with my friend Dave Stassen, another friend of Busy's who we text a lot with. And uh, we had moved out there to write, to be writers and stuff. And I was like, well, I don't know, man. I'm not acting a lot, so maybe we should write. He moved back to L.A. And the pivot was I'm just going to be a writer now. No one wants to hire me as an actor, um, which is fine. I love writing. I, it's like a joy when you're writing something that you love. It is the most fun job you can have. So we were just like, let's be writers. And we wrote a movie and it didn't sell. Wrote another movie, didn't sell. Wrote another movie, sold. And from that point on, we're like, writers, acting's done, tried it didn't work, full-time writer, and that definitely saved my life. The the, the kind of the capper was, after like years of just writing and not acting, um, I got hired by another friend of Busy's, Daniel McBride, to be on East Mountain Down. And that was the show How did that happen? So you knew you knew him or your friends well, or no, you just auditioned. No, no it was crazy. I, I hadn't gotten I went out for I went out for 25, 30 shows, never, never got hired, ever. And I was like, oh, this fucking sucks. But then my I got a call from my agent that they were like, hey, Eastbound and Down season three is starting up and they need that they're look they your name came up. God bless Allison Jones, casting director, yeah. wonderful human being, like the best, the best person, the best at her job. And she brought me in and 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 I remember, I remember. It was for the catcher, right? First of all, first of all, I fucking lost it because that was like my favorite show at the time. I Man. loved it so much. It was just like Danny just blew me away. I was such a fan. It was the first show that I was getting ready to audition for that I was a huge, insane fan of. Okay. So I will never forget. It was for the part of the catcher, right? And and I, who's like his best friend, who's like a twin, Jason Sudeikis ended up playing it. I fucking rehearsed it for so long got in my car and was driving the audition and my agent called and said, Hey, flag, flag. They already made an offer to someone. Forget it. And I was like, oh. I was heartbroken. I was heartbroken. I was like, okay, is there anything else? <laughs> is there any other part? I'll do anything. Maybe even it's like a line. And they're like, well, there's this part for a Russian pitcher, but it's like, it's Russian. Can you do a Russian accent? I'm like, yep. Yeah, amazing. I do the best Russian accent. I can, I can kill it. My dad's family is Ukrainian. I can't do a good Russian accent. 
So I go home and I'm practicing on it and blah, blah, blah. I'm so nervous. And I'm obviously not going to get it. And I went to the audition a few days later and there were real Russians in there, like who were like stacked, giant, like jacked Russians. And I went in there <laughs> and I read with Danny and Jody. And I, I just kind of started, you know how those guys like to improvise and they like you to, you know, some people you go and you audition and they're like, stick to the script. Yeah. Like, okay, but Danny's like th- wants you to throw shit out, and he just started laughing, and I left there being like, "That went pretty good." And then they called me, and I, I was over the moon. I was it was the first time like someone really legitimately like that I loved and I thought was cool liked me. I just want to be liked. Yeah, obviously, that's, that's all we all want. Uh, well, the thing is, back to the pivot is that after we became writers and we sold a movie and we became established in the writing world as writers, I got this fluke job from Eastbound and Down, which Mindy Kaling saw was a huge, she loves Danny, a huge fan of that show, found me on Twitter. And so we became like, whatever, Twitter friends. And then when her show, The Mindy Project was starting up, my partner and I had this kind of not argument, but for a long time, he was like, I want to staff on a show. I need to like work and be on a show and stuff. And I was like, I, if I staff on a show, then I'm for a hundred percent not going to be able to act ever. And it was like the perfect situation where we got hired on her show as writers. So it was the writing, it was pivoting to the writing that, and then failing at that for literally many, many years that I think allowed me to get, the what I still think is the best job I, I I've ever had. I don't wait. You weren't failing as a writer for years. You uh, like well, sold no, for, shit. It just didn't get well. But for about a year and a half, we wrote like movies that like did not sell. Granted, they were not good. We wrote a movie about like three friends who tried. This is this is how time stamped the movie was. <laughs> we wrote a movie like a comedy about like three stoners who are broke and they decide to go kill Osama bin Laden. <laughs> I don't know. So that bad. feels like that feels like in the world of can we make literally it what? Can we make every, it now? Every executive, every I mean, like the thing is, we killed him in the movie, and every executive said, "What if he gets captured and killed before this movie comes out?" And we were like, "Guys, he's gone. You're never going to see him again. He's gone." <laughs> and then, like two months later, Obama's like, "Ladies and gentlemen, we got him." <laughs> <laughs> Mike, I have a question for you because I think that you are such a unique talent and I think that you are. And I think that to me, part of the reason why you failed miserably as an actor the first time you yes. tried um, is because you're oh my God. your own unique talent that you were trying to fit into someone else's bullshit of like terrible. Yes network television show guys there was definitely during that period during that period there was definitely the a type of guy that was on every sitcom and he was super hot like fucking hot and like jacked and and i quite don't fit that you know i just have a well look i'm 43 i'm very comfortable i'm Interesting face, you know what I mean? Like I had big teeth, and this. So it's just I didn't look like uh, you know uh, uh, Jeff Stoltz was the guy that I would always see oh, at Jeff auditions. Stoltz, yeah, He's like the hottest guy ever. So I, I, at that time, that was kind of like. Now I think now they're kind of looking more for like, especially for comedy, they just want 
that were just funny and weird, you know what I mean? But there was definitely like that was the the type of guy that I would always kind of go up against with and never, uh, never get. Uh, although I do remember at one time I auditioned to play uh, Bob Saget's best friend on a sitcom. And I'll never forget uh, the three people who were testing were me, um, uh, Mark Curry. I don't know if you guys know Mark Curry, hanging with Mr. Cooper, Mark Curry. Right? Sure. Yes. And Jerry Burns. Amazing actor. Oh, Jerry, Jerry Burns Jerry is Burns. from Dear John, but he was on Breaking Bad. He's oh, like, I love him. He's amazing. Yeah, and yeah. He's fantastic. So the oh, three of him. us are auditioning to play Bob Saget's best friend. So it's like me, like a 64-year-old white man, and like a six foot eight, 45-year-old black man. And I remember Jerry Burns comes in and looks at me and Mark and goes, are we all here for uh, uh, Saget's friend? And I go, yeah, he goes, well, at least they know what type they're looking for. <laughs> it could have been, like, so different. But anyways, that, that, I, 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 to, to what you were saying, Biz, I think, yeah, I think at that time I was trying to fit into my kind of weird round head into a square peg, and it just wasn't, it just wasn't working. But I just wonder if in, me, in like, letting go of the idea that you were going to work in that space, it gave you, like, the freedom of being like, fuck it. And so you were just yourself moving forward on any audition. hundred percent, hundred percent. I really like got to a certain point where I was trying to like, just like you said, I was trying to make those like moves, but not really still trying to do it my way. And that didn't work. And then at a certain point I was just like, I'm just going to be myself. If you want to hire me, great. <laughs> I'm sure there's other people, but I, I think everything I do is like a version of, of, of me in some weird way. I'm just not one of those actors who can kind of chameleon and, you know. Uh, You're not a Michelle Williams. And you know what? I'm not a Michelle Williams. I'm, That's I'm not okay. a Michelle Williams. I want to be a Michelle Williams. I, can I ask you a question about when you were, um, you know, making that pivot from acting to writing? Did you almost ever quit? There was, um, there was definitely like a moment where I kind of, thought of, I just thought maybe this won't work maybe this won't work um I I, I try not to get there too much just because at that point I've been doing it for so long I've been in show business for years that like the thought of really kind of giving up but like I'm sure there was a couple moments where I'm like hey if this if this doesn't work then I'm fucking done I have like maybe this is too personal <laughs> then you should tell it and cut it cut it I cut it. okay yeah. I remember very clearly. So you'd gotten married to Erica. I think this was just after you guys had been married. And you were like teary about work. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And you were just like, I, I, she just, I got to, I got to do. Oh, it'd, be so funny. it'd be so funny you if it like, was at my wedding, by the way. <laughs> my no. wedding, like, I need more auditions. No, no, no. You just were like, it, it was the gist of it was essentially, we were probably, I was probably drunk. The gist of it was essentially so, yeah. like, I, like, I have to do right by yes. my wife. And like, yes. and I think you said, I just don't want her to feel like she bet on the wrong horse. <laughs> And, and like, and like, you were just like, I just, I just, it's not, I, it's not even that I need to be famous. Like, it's not, I just, I need to work. Like I need to have health insurance. I need to like, I can't, I can't, I, 
she moved here. She yeah. had a job and moved here for me. And like, I need to do this. Like, I got to do this. Yeah. And I just remember being like, so, ugh. You're gonna, you're gonna do it, buddy. Like, <laughs> You'll be fine. Don't worry. It works out for everyone. I do think it's important for people listening just to know that there are those moments in even like people who you look at and you're like, oh yeah, that guy was on Mad TV, and then he was, and then he like, you know, was with Amy Poehler in that movie, and he wrote, you know, and he writes these movies on the Mindy Project. That guy, like, he was great. He's like been working all the time, like. There were real moments where you were unsure if moving forward in this business was going to work for you because, for sure. and you somehow found, was it helpful to work with Stassen? Do you feel like partnering with partnering back up with him helped like keep you both going? I do. I think when you have, if you're fortunate enough to find someone who, um, above all, you agree on taste together you have the same taste if you have that person and that you're willing to work with each other then you just know that you guys you might argue about this or that but at the end of the day if you made a movie that was good they would understand it was good and vice versa um, if you can have that that person just kind of pushes you you know what I mean it just kind of has a natural kind of like because there's days there's many days where I did not want to do anything except for like watch like old World War II in color videos. And what are just you, my, my dad? Bed. What are you, I know, what are you I doing? Know, I know, I know. I the just, weirdest. So weird. I just turn on the History Channel and just sit in my bathrobe and like drink coffee and smoke and watch like, God damn, Rommel was a genius. You know what I mean? Just like so dumb. But 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 to have that person who you're kind of like, hey, you know, we're working today. Come on, let's go. It, it's it's good. It's If you can find that hold on to it and, and, and use it. Hold on. Damn, I'm going to hold on to you. <laughs> you guys are great together. And I think that like that, that bit always gets sort of glazed over when the end result ends up being like a lot of success. You got, you know, you wrote and directed your own movie last year. You're still, you know, you're selling stuff all the time. Like I, you're asked, you're offered things as an actor all the time now. And I think that it's leaning into your weirdness and who you kind of really are is the thing that ultimately helps people find success. I think that's the most important thing. There's one takeaway. It's like, do what feels good to you. Do what right. If you're writing something, what feels funny to you? Anytime we've ever tried to write to what we think the town would like, or this one person would like, or if you're acting and you're going to, do this one thing because you saw another actor do it and it worked for him or her, uh, you probably won't end up working out. And if it does, you'll, you'll feel uh, it's not as uh, deep as if it's something that's just you being you. Like that's, we're living in a good age now where that people like Viva la France, you know what I mean? People want to see fucking different people and they want to see weirdos and they want to see, they want to see something other than we've been seeing for the last hundred years. So I, I think it's a very good time to embrace. Guys, it's a good time to embrace who you are. I always say this. <laughs> it is the thing you say the most. It is. Love your curves. You guys know my tattoo, right? <laughs> <laughs> um, well, Ike, you are truly my favorite. Guys, what, a, what a joy. What a freaking What delight. a joy. What a delight. This is my 47th interview with Ike Barinhall. <laughs> <laughs> the Tony Randall of Busy Phillips. <laughs> I am honored to be your Tony Randall. All right, Ike. 
Tell your family I love them. Back at you. Love you Bye. guys. Bye. I'll talk to you soon. Thank you. Well, you guys, thank you so much. We love you. I hope this was enjoyable for you. It was enjoyable for us. I mean, definitely for me. I hadn't <laughs> heard some of those before. <laughs> Even when I was the one asking the questions. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> but, um, but I did love it. It is fun. And it's so cool to revisit stories and like the little bits of wisdom that just creep on in. <laughs> we love to see it. We love to hear it. We love you. We love you. And we'll talk to you very soon. We'll talk to you soon. Thanks Bye. for hanging out with us. Bye. Oh, no.